available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. Thanks, David. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. We're doing it live in studio together again, David. We're here. It's magical. It's a magical time for everyone. I know you're all excited that my audio does not have a random like rice cooking sound going on in the background right now. Um, and so we're here. It's beautiful. We're here. It is beautiful. And I uh, love when David's in the same room as I. We get to chat a little bit. We might, I think I have a couple beers in the fridge. We could uh, maybe crack open a couple might, again. Yeah, we did that before. I might have had a couple on my way here, but that's okay. You know, that's, that's what not we on do. your way here. You drove here, Ryan. I did. Well, I, well, I didn't drink them in the car. But okay, good, good, good. That's yeah. what I like to hear. That's good. Um, yeah. No, no. Pre-game, you're driving. Just don't, you know, not while you're driving. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I Ubered here anyway, so. You yeah, know, yeah, like obviously, yeah, obviously, obviously. Uh, well, let's uh, tell everyone how they can get a hold of us. Pac12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text, the number is 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast, of course, the website where all of our old episodes are, Pac-12Podcast.com. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, uh, iHeartRadio, all the stuff, Megaphone, anywhere you can get the podcast, you can get the podcast of champions. Do not accept imitations. And please leave us a five-star review, something positive. The ratings are great. I don't know. What do you, what do you, we have anything good lately, David? We've gotten a couple new ones. You want them? Yeah, let's do them. All right. We've got one from Scott MG Fan, five-star rating. Habadubu. If you're looking for gambling <laughs> advice, this podcast is the boil on the buttocks of the podcasting world. If you're looking for funny and interesting takes on the Pac-12, this podcast is gold. Sometimes David needs to pull his lip over his head and swallow... <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, he's okay. That's, that's the fairest assessment of me that's ever been put to a paper. You guys have to see. It would be hard to do the lip right now. His beard is pretty glorious. It is. <laughs> it's not quite at peak, but it's. I, I think since it's gotten so white, this is the biggest I've had it. There's a little. There's some white in it. Yeah. Oh, it, but it's pretty big. It's there's a there's a dusting. Okay. A, a firm <laughs> dusting. All right, we got one more. Um, this is from uh, Ace CDC. Uh, 2x the Mendoza line. So two times the Mendoza line. Mendoza line. Wow. Uh, This is the best full Pac-12 content there is in podcast listens. These two exude LA arrogance while being humbled by their really bad against the spread picks. Crap talking aside, as a Buffs fan, I enjoy their recaps, their previews, and the time they put in to make a well-prepped show. So Andy's clearly not a listener. Uh, Angry Andy, uh, Pac-12, 2 minus 1 equals 5-star certified. Pac-12 divided by 2 minus 1 times, I don't know. Too much math for you. Way too much right now for this time of day. But I appreciate you, Andy. I really do. Thanks, Andy. Um, Yeah, I think he gets us. 
Yeah. I, I think there's a little sarcasm, maybe. <laughs> I think Hashtag so. Hopefully. Sarcasm. Hopefully. Hopefully it's not. We don't put a lot of prep in, but we do that. And, you know, when we don't ha- drop the episode like normal time, people start tweeting at us. They're wondering, hey, what's going on? We, we're going, we were going to do this earlier. Mm-hmm. We didn't. Uh, well, Dave was sort of at the whim of the UCLA basketball team, which is a- which is an unfortunate position to be in. <laughs> uh, so we're, we moved this around, and then my mom's in town, but we wanted to do this in person. So we're doing it a little bit later on a uh, Tuesday night. But hey, you know, we got six games coming up. We got six games to recap. Our picks were, okay, this is the year that our picks have been bad, but normally they've been good. We've been well above 500. Um, so you want to listen to us most of the time, maybe not this year, but this week you got to listen to us because we're talking, yes, we got to talk about my bookie. Uh, this week only, they are offering a risk-free bet, the Bears-Lions game. I lo- Do you love Thanksgiving, Dave? Is that a big holiday for you? Yeah, it's among my favorites. It's pretty, I love the meal. I love like deep frying some turkey, but I love watching football. So the Bears-Lions game, all you got to do, pick the team you want to beat against the spread, 250 bucks up to that. If you win, congrats. Extra holiday spending money. We could all use that. And if you lose, congrats as well. They're going to give you your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk. All gravy. So it doesn't matter if you're an experienced player or first-time customer. My bookie will welcome you to come and play. Quit waiting around. Sign up today. And you find yourself, you know, wanting the sports bet, but you got a lot of questions. MyBookie has patient customer service team that can walk you through the process. The best part is if you join now, you can still have one last shot to take advantage of this incredible sign-up offer. What that means is you use you use the promo code when you sign up. Use the promo code PAC12. They're going to also double your deposit. So whatever your deposit is, up to 1000 bucks, they're going to match it. So dollar for dollar, that's going to jumpstart your bankroll. Plus, that's all on top of the risk-free bet you get for that Bears-Lions game. So make sure you do your part. Check it out. MyBookie.com. MyBookie.ag, excuse me. You play, you win, you get paid at MyBookie.ag. It's a, it's a bet we can't even lose, David. No. I mean, I could make a good attempt, but even I will probably be incapable of losing this bet. <laughs> but it's so weird how bad we were. We were 3-3 three and three this week, each of us, and we picked four games differently. Um, so we thought there'd be like some kind of separation this week. None. There was not. It was no. like, it's still, it's th- that Mendoza line that you were talking about. We just kind of go back to that. Uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's great. But, but we've got one more opportunity this week. We, yeah, I think we have a pretty good opportunity, um, to pick some games. we got six games. One of them is out of conference. It's just, I mean, whatever I've done, it's just not where like, we've had some okay weeks, but just been, it's been tough. Just the weirdest thing will happen. You know, we just pencil in Oregon as, oh, they're going to the Pac-12 championship game. And, uh, you know, I mean, they're going. Yeah, they But we sure thought they were going to be like, you know, a path to the playoff and they end up losing, um, which is kind of weird. So real quick, because we're doing this on Tuesday night, we actually have college football playoff rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah moved up. They took Oregon's spot at number six, uh, but they are still behind Alabama. So they're outside the top four, but plus they're behind Alabama, which... Could be a problem, and they don't. They won't have if they go if they win out if they beat Colorado. Spoiler alert: they won't have a one loss team to play in the college football in the uh, in the Pac twelve championship game. Do, do you feel like it's a big deal? My instinct is that Utah is going to jump Alabama if they win the Pac twelve title. Okay. Um, the question remains whether Georgia, if Georgia beats LSU, then I, I I have a hard time seeing Utah getting in. 
Okay. Um, but if if LSU is able to knock off Georgia, then I think it'll be Utah in the fourth spot. Wow. Okay. If they win. I mean, if they win out, obviously. All right. So um, you're pretty optimistic. You're still... Yeah, I mean, at six, I think they're positioning it because um, Alabama doesn't have the ability to get a division title or a conference title boost, which has historically been kind of meaningful with these rankings. So I think they're setting it up to say, essentially, well, Bama's better right now, but Utah will have that resume notch that Bama won't get when they win the Pac-12. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of that, that's the way I'm looking at it right now. But it's it's really going to be dependent on Georgia LSU. And during the interviews today, so uh, Utah's six, Oregon's 14, USC's 22. So they do their loss is to a top 25 team and they can say they didn't have their running back, Zach Moss. And that's mm-hmm. been said. So. They're saying some stuff. It's helping that USC is ranked. It's not helping that Washington is no longer ranked. Uh, we'll we'll get into that one as well. So <laughs> that was there was two sort of bad things that happened for the Pac-12, and so pretty much guaranteeing that Colorado is going to beat Utah, right? Like that'll just completely blow everything. That would be beautiful. Yeah. I mean, and no, I, obviously Utah fans, it wouldn't be beautiful for you, but from like a chaos agent standpoint, it would be really kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it's, it's Pac-12 as it gets. It's that like, would be incredibly Pac-12. I, I believe it was like, a last I looked, it was like a 28 and a half point spread. Well, and also like Oregon State knocking off Oregon would be really, that would be really awesome yeah. too. Because then you've got three loss Oregon versus like two loss utah for a meaningless rose bowl that nobody's going to be up for no usc would go in that case oh, right it would be i mean it would be a four loss usc <laughs> usc is the highest ranked four loss team uh in the college football ranking so they did sneak into the uh ap poll and the college uh, the, the uh coaches poll this week at 25 but i think some of that was on the heels of the college football playoff people ranked them so then usc moves up which yeah. this guy predicted this guy you did? With the index finger right here. On this very show, one you, week ago. You expect me to remember that? Like, I do. That, oh, that the USC was going to get ranked by yeah, be- beating just us. because they wanted to set it up so that they'd have cover in case Oregon or Utah ended up getting uh, the playoff. Yeah, you know, you beat a 4-7 and seven UCLA team, you should jump into the rankings. You should jump 10 spots. That's then 4-6, and six, Ryan. Oh, my Put fault. some respect it's on their It's now 4-7. Yeah. Um, all right, so we have that. Uh, let me pull up the... Pac-12 players of the week. There was a lot of candidates this week, but uh, Jaden Daniels gets the offensive player. Are you you cool with that, with the, the big win? Yeah, I'm very cool with that. Yeah. I mean, there were some huge... I mean, you're talking... Anthony Gordon throwing for over 600 yards. Keaton Slovis Keaton throwing Slovis for over 500 great. yards. Yeah. Um, but... Jane Daniels, they got, that's the biggest win, so I think you go there. Tell, what, he, what he did against that defense in particular is... That's the stunning part. Yeah. Uh, Talano Hufunga, USC safety, had 18 tackles, the most for USC since Troy Polamalu, who's another Oregon product and also uh, the idol of Talano Hufunga. I don't know if you want to give a USC defender the player of the week. Even 18 tackles was great, but giving up uh, over... No, that, that, that USC defense was trash. They gave up a lot of... I mean, they stopped Joshua Kelly, and they were like very excited about that, but uh, DTR went bonkers like he rushed for like 93 yards game you're gonna have to give me a strong reason every week why it isn't the utah whoever like just a player on utah's defense probably you're right there and then uh special teams alex kinney the punter for colorado did he do anything special he was uh let's see sorry real quick so he pinned washington deep in their territory at key times four punts with a 40 almost 46 yard average three inside the uh, 15 and two inside the 10. Okay, so 
nothing like super crazy, but really that was a field position game we'll talk about. And uh, he really helped with that. Uh, Abe Lucas was the offensive lineman uh, of the week for Washington state. Uh, the Washington state tackle. Um, I guess they scored a lot of points. Maybe get it to him, but the Oregon lost. So you have to give it to somebody else, I guess. I guess that's so. what you do. Uh, Bradley and I, uh, defensive lineman for Utah, got the def- you know, he had 58 sacks and uh, I don't know what it was. <laughs> something really good. And then, uh, Jaden Daniels was also the freshman of the week. So he gets, uh, he gets his picture up there twice. Awesome. Good for Jaden Daniels. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, yeah, you liked him early on, I think. So kudos yeah. to, no, uh, I love, I love Jaden Daniels. Uh, kudos to Dave. I think that was it for, was there any other notes we want to go over or not really? No, let's get to some football games. All right, let's do that. We have our Pac-12 roundup. And everybody was in action. All right, so this is a, a tale of two extremes. We had this last week, too. Um, so probably not good for this team. Arizona Wildcats. The, uh, the number 12 team for the second week in a row, they get to play the number one team. Well, now the new number one team. Utah Utes. Yeah, uh, this was, uh, uh, yeah. This was a bloodletting. Um, Utah beat Arizona 35-7, which, like, it's one of those Utah scores that really, like, Arizona got murdered, um, and it was, like, kind of gruesome to watch. Um, They were able to do absolutely nothing offensively. Uh, A total, let me see if I'm doing the math right, 196 yards on 52 plays for Arizona. Um, Yeah. That's like that's like worse than what UCLA did against uh, Utah. Um, this, Here's the thing, though: a lot of those yards, so 196 total yards, a lot of them came in garbage time. So, <laughs> so it's it's not quite as bad, or maybe it's worse. I I don't know. However, you want to look at, it. but a lot of the, literally a lot of those yards came when Utah put in the reserves, like. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, a ton of it came on the final drive, the 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 actual scoring drive for Arizona. It was twelve plays, eighty five yards. Yeah. So, so they almost, were barely almost, a triple almost digits. half the yards came on the final drive of the game. They were they barely a triple digits, like before that. Oh man, hideous, hideous game. Uh, Utah's really, really good. Um, Tyler Huntley was really good in this one. Super efficient again. Another game where he averaged almost ten yards a pass. Um, and Zach Moss was just a killer. Uh, 26 carries for 203 yards. I mean, it's just they're they're playing at a different level than anybody else in the conference right now. Um, they should be favored to win the Pac-12 at this point. Um, by a healthy, I, I mean, I think they would be probably favored on a neutral field over Oregon right now by neighborhood of a touchdown. I would think. I I, I think you're right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, they're the clear favorites in the league right now. We'll see if they can keep it up. You know, Utah's been prone to some November lulls in the past, but this year seems like a different beast. They've got two players who are um, absolute top-notch in the conference offensively um, in Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, and that's really the difference for them this year, just how good that offense is playing. Yeah, it's uh, so Utah was up 14 nothing at half. It seemed like it should have been like 28 nothing, but they Utah only had four drives in the first half, half David. Uh, two touchdowns and two failed fourth down conversions deep into Arizona territory. One of them was like at the one or something. Uh, right before half, they could have kicked the field goal. They went for it and got stuffed uh, at the end. And you felt like Utah should be up by a lot right now. And Arizona wasn't doing anything on offense. Um, 
you know, they had a interception in the end zone in the second half. Um, you know, it's like the Utah defense just it, it like it's like it didn't matter whatever the Utah offense did if they screwed up whatever. Uh, they've given up seven points or fewer uh, for the fifth time in the last six games. So five of the last six games, they've only given up uh, a touchdown or less. And like I said, with the 196 yards, absolutely insane. Um, just the first quarter alone, Utah had 291 yards and Arizona had 56. So it's it was pretty obvious. There were points left on the table. This was a 23-point spread. We both got this one right. But it, it was it got it was a little closer than what it should have been. Like Utah should have just beat them by a lot more. I thought. Yeah, it was. Well, it was one of those where Utah was also just. I mean, as you said, they only had four drives in the first half. They were just controlling the clock too. I mean, it was a yeah time of possession. Utah controlled almost forty minutes of the clock <laughs> in this one. I mean, it's just they they controlled the game exactly how they wanted to, and they just sucked the life out of it so that. Even if Arizona had gotten something going at any point, there was just little game left for them to do it. Yeah. Um, no, this is a complete controlled game by Utah. I'm sure the like advanced stats look at the game would say they should have won by like 40. Yeah. Um, but they won by 28. They covered yeah. and uh, they looked awesome doing it. So uh, if they can sneak past uh, Colorado next week um, or this week, then uh, they are lined up for. Um, one of the biggest games in uh, recent Utah history. Yeah, try a chance to win the Pac-12 for the first time. Just a bloodletting there. All right, let's move on. Uh, our number 11 team. Stanford Cardinal. This is this was a big game night. Big game nightmare for me. Not. It was the know. big game nightmare. <laughs> our now number eight team. California Golden Bears. <laughs> I mean, it's tough. Like when you're when you've got a big lead over Cal late in a game to deal with that offense, you know, deal with their ability to just score a bunch of points quickly <laughs> against you. That's tough to do. This is David got this one right. He took Cal. I took Stanford. It was a three point spread, and I felt really confident of it. I'm like, the worst I was going to do is push. Like there was no way. Like basically, if you said Cal's going to have to drive two long touchdown drives in the like the last like seven minutes of the game, you'd be like, oh yeah, this Cal offense, they are completely equipped to do that. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> look, you know, you know how I feel about the Cal offense and how strong it is. I mean, how are you going to hold down an offense like that when say, for example, they, they, they have, you know, two opportunities late in a game to score touchdowns. Like you can't hold them down. No. Like you're up 17, 10. You can't expect to hold that lead. No. Um, yeah. So Cal went five plays, eighty-four yards to tie it at seventeen. Then Stanford goes ahead again, twenty to seventeen, and then they go six plays, seventy-five yards. Yeah. How are you? How Cal are you have, ever letting Cal do that to you? That might not have happened in like the last three years from Cal. Like, oh was, my God. Um, Stanford's gonna finish four and eight. So bad. You called this. You you definitely were down on Stanford. And I, I've picked Stanford to be down in the past and got burned. So I'm very reluctant to do it. But you you did it. Yeah. So Chase Garbers came back for this one. And that was, I thought, critical for them. Um, yes. He oh, looked huge. Yeah. Even despite um, coming out of a previous game, he looked healthy and good in this one. Um, he was not only throwing the ball really well. He was like a huge part of this was his ability to run the ball, too. Um, he made a bunch of plays with his legs. And it, this wasn't a fluky game. I thought Cal was clearly the better team, um, just kind of across the board. With Garbers in there, they are a different team when yeah. he's playing well. 
Um, and this looked more like the Cal team we were seeing, the frisky Cal team we saw from the beginning of the year where the offense suddenly looked like it might be functional again. Um, so that's encouraging, especially because we were being um, we were being a little bit negative about Bo Baldwin uh, midseason. Um, and we might still feel like some negative feelings towards Bo Baldwin, but um, it is a different deal seeing this offense with a functional quarterback. Yeah. I mean, that's why Chase Garber's the MVP of the league. Cause, like, <laughs> Honestly, the, I mean, ca- like, the case the case can be made at I'm this like, point. I'm not even joking anymore. <laughs> like, But this was so – this game was pretty boring for a while. It was like 10 to 10. I think Cal hit like a 50-something yard field goal. But then Stanford blocks like a 38-yarder. I, I don't know. Like the, the graphic at halftime I loved. It says David Shaw is 3-3 three and three when tied at the half. Like that's about as David Shaw as it gets. Like David Shaw is like – even money, like just <laughs> everything is just a coin flip, like for everything. I was like, oh, um, they were driving in the third quarter. Stanford was driving in the third quarter. Uh, I thought they, the offense looked pretty good at times. Uh, Davis Mills throws a deep uh, interception down to the goal line. Um, you know, Stanford kicked a field goal at a time when I thought they needed to score a touchdown in there. There was just a lot of David Shaw moments at this game where you felt like, Hey, you know, don't don't leave this up to chance. Don't like, hey, we're gonna win this one by three and walk away uh, with, you know, because they, I guess they didn't expect Cal to to score that, you know, have those two scoring drives. Um, Cal itself, uh, they're eight and one now when they score twenty four or more points the last two seasons. So you know, they hit the twenty four mark on this one. That's kind of like a key. Like, hey, if you can somehow muster up three touchdowns and a field goal, you're gonna win the game. Um, the way the standoff for that axe, did you see that? Like, that was with, bizarre. I don't get that. Like, I'll go big game. Like, I know you're not going to like honor, like, you're going to use, yeah, the, the article, but I'm, I'm going to say big game, but I didn't like the stare off of what's going on there. It was just kind of creepy and weird. And like, it made me think weird things. Like, that was the kind of thing where it was like, wow, this is so excessively like combative between these two like weird groups of like booster like fan like whatever student booster groups or whatever yeah and it made me think like you don't see players doing this no. like they're not fighting over the stupid axe what <laughs> what is it like what is what is like college athletics like it made me think these like deep existential thoughts which i don't want to think because it was just so like this is weird why are you running around with an axe yeah it was well just the stare like they stare at each other they, they stared move. at each other while the clock was running down it's just like what is this it's just very weird but you know good for just exchange for, it after the game like do we do, like what what happens with the victory belt doesn't that just happen like the week after or something i think they get it like the next day or yeah. something or like two days later just, yeah who cares just get it paint it do whatever you do with it and then that's it yeah it's very weird and then the the final drive that stanford had so they did have a shot you know like cal scored pretty quickly and uh, as as Cal's offense does. Right. As we know it to be so powerful. Um, Stanford couldn't even get a first down. They completed two passes, went for nine yards. They tried to run it. I mean, they like that was so David Shaw, like they couldn't even get beyond the first first down mark. Like they were in this little box. Like it's like they're in a phone booth. This And it's like you have to score. You have to score now. You have to score a touchdown because you're down by four. And you complete two passes, and you still haven't got a first down, and then you can't pick it up at that point. Um, I forget. There was one of the writers who covers Cal that tweeted this, and I, I apologize. I didn't write down the name. But he said, Chase Garbers, 10-2. and two, So this is all for the MVP talk that I like to talk about. 10-2 uh, and two is a Cal starter when he plays most of the game. He's the first Cal quarterback since Aaron Rodgers to beat USC and Stanford. He's the leading passer and rusher for both teams in the 2019 big game. Uh, 
so he he won the game on that Vince Young like scramble at the end, and then uh, two long touchdown drives in the fourth quarter for Cal. So Chase Garber's uh, MVP of the league, I would say the goat. He's the, yeah the greatest ever. Like him, Aaron Rodgers are just right up there. Yeah. Uh, so streaks ended, well, I think it was nine in a row that, uh, Stanford had beat Cal, like the longest in that yeah. history. And then Stanford also had the longest bull streak. That's now broken. Uh, they went to 10, but Washington just tied it because they squeaked in with their six and five right now. So, so Cal's going to a bull game. Stanford is, so here's what I'd say about Stanford. Many of the key parts of this Harbaugh share Shaw era are just now, completely gone like the run game for stanford this entire year it was the first time where you would have been like wow stanford really couldn't run the ball at any point this year um and it wasn't because of like injuries to the running backs like it's been with you know they've kind of been up and down running the ball the last couple years because the price love injuries but this was the one where it was like wow they just don't have the talent at running back and their offensive line is not that mashing mauling unit that it used to be and defensively, when was the last time Stanford had a really good defense? We're talking like five years <sighs> yeah. at this point. They got, um, they got some some moments, but just not been. It's just, know. and it's mostly pace that keeps these scores close, like low. It's not really the. It's mostly the offense still running at that like really glacial pace, but yeah. the defense hasn't been good in a long time now. They've got some real stuff they need to retool there. Um, it's going to be an interesting thing if there's any pressure on Shaw to do any of those things or if he's going to proactively do them or if he's just going to stay the course. Um, because I think right now they need to change some things. Like yes. they need to change what they don't need to completely like throw out their identity, but they need to evolve. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been a long time since they've evolved. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. It's like I, reluctant to say, okay, this is a different Stanford team now. It's a different Stanford team now. You you know you're not going to the bowl this year. Um, you got to give David Shaw the benefit of the doubt. He'll be able to turn things around. But I, I mean I don't know. You're, I'm not going to be picking them real high next year probably. Cause just seeing what they did this year. Um, no. We'll see. Okay. Uh, next up we have our uh, number ten team, Colorado Buffalo. And they were taking on our now number six team, Washington Huskies. Holy crap, Washington. Yeah. Um, speaking of guys who might need to retool and rethink everything, uh, Chris Peterson. Um, Washington lost to Colorado 20 to 14. They're now six and five this year. Woo, just, who called uh, it? Yeah. Colorado still totally alive for a bowl game. All they need to do is knock off the team that's playing the. In- like best football in the league and like top five football in the entire country. Yeah. Yeah. Should be fine. Um, but Colorado, uh, wow. They completely shut down this Washington offensive attack in the first half. Um, and some of that was certainly self-inflicted by Washington. Um, couldn't run the ball at all on a defense that has certainly been susceptible. I mean, Colorado coming into this game, I think they had the worst defense in the league, according to most advanced stats. It was up there. I mean, but it was definitely it was, averaging over 30 points given up. Yeah, yeah, and it was certainly like efficiency metrics, not good. Um, not good against the run or the pass. Um, and Washington could really do neither. Um, Jacob Eason was pretty inefficient uh, through a pick. Um, but honestly, I'm not blaming individual players at this point. There's something schematically wrong here. Yeah. Um, and I'm not enough of a uh, tactician to identify it, but... As I've said, watching Washington's offense, 
everything just looks so hard. The same way it looks so hard with Stanford's offense and UCLA's offense early on in the year. Just it looks like they're trying to do so much to get six yards. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, like I've heard, you know, some guys, they build an offense where it's like, yeah, every play we run, that's designed to get a touchdown. And those right. are the fun offenses. That's a Mike Leach air raid. That, you know, we're hoping on any given play there's a little bit of a breakdown and it goes for a touchdown. That's kind of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, this one is, yeah, we're going to, we got this one that's going to squeeze out four yards if we can perfectly execute yeah. and throw this ball across our body all the way across the field to this receiver who isn't really in a position to generate any yak. No, it's yeah. like, oh, cool. Okay, that'll be fun to watch. It's like you got Tom Cruise in like Mission Impossible. He's like breaking into like high security <laughs> place. He's like open the safe. He's got like five people helping him out and he opens it up and there's like, some ten dollar bills and a bag of Oreos. You're like, yeah, all that work for that. Like that's you had to do everything perfectly to get your like fifty bucks in Oreos. Exactly, you know? exactly. Um, they they couldn't run the ball either, though. I mean, it's just there. There's some broken pieces in that offense, and then, um, I mean, defensively they were not great, but better. No. Um, they didn't get enough pressure on Steven Montez. They didn't disrupt him enough, and he's been disruptible this year. Um, but he was able to complete way too many throws um yeah. and he's been off this year so the fact that you can't throw him off his spot a little bit more is an issue um but he's playing he's playing better ball he had a bad middle stretch of the season he's been better um recently um but this was a really nice win for Colorado oh huge um this is i think this, i mean this is the best one of the year for them um i think from an impact standpoint it's right up there with Nebraska as like a proof of concept for Mel Tucker um, where you can say, okay, you did something that was unexpected this year. Even though Nebraska's turned out to be bad at the time, that felt like a, oh, wow, that's a big win. Yeah. This one feels like a big win, um, even though, again, it's over a 6-5 and five Washington team. This is a Washington team that will most stats will tell you they're better than their record. Um, so this is a really nice win for Mel Tucker. Um, obviously, probably going to finish 5-7. and seven. I don't lay, you know, tremendous faith in their ability to knock off Utah, but – that's way over, I think, our expectations for Colorado this year. Yeah, and then so this was a 14.5-point spread. So Washington is now lost as a 14-point favorite to Cal, as a 16-point favorite to Stanford, and uh, now as a 14.5-point favorite to Colorado. So we, you know, I got this one right, you got this one wrong. Early on, you could kind of tell, like, I knew right away it was 6 uh, nothing. I think... Colorado squeaked out a couple yep. of field goals. Washington wasn't doing anything. And then this like ridiculous touchdown catch by LaVisca Chenault to put it up 13. Like once that happened, you're like, okay, this one's over. Like there's no way. But, you know, Washington did fight back in the second half. The first half, four sacks from Colorado. They really were getting a lot of pressure on Jacob Eason. And the offense was doing enough, you know. And that that I thought that catch by Chenault was like the kind of this over the shoulder. I mean, that was really nice. And that just seemed to give this team a lot more confidence. You know, they kind of like, hey, you know, we can actually win this game. Um, then Washington showed a little moxie. They were down 20 to 7. They go on this drive, like pick up two fourth downs. One of them was like fourth and 15 or something. There was one that was that was like really like a low percentage one. They pick them up. Um, and then Colorado, they, you know, they, they give the ball back to Colorado when they're only down six. And uh, Colorado gets the ball at their own one yard line. They're excited that the punt was great. And Colorado goes on a five-minute drive to end the game and kill all of the clock. So that was really impressive what Colorado was able to do. And there was and Montez picked up like a, I think it was a third and sixteen or third and seventeen or something like in that. And they were deep in their own territory, which 
you give Washington the ball back with that opportunity. And Colorado, to their credit, they iced this game and didn't give Washington um, that chance. So Washington had 32 yards rushing in this one. And in the previous games of the Pac-12, this was from Brian Howell. He tweeted this out. So going back to 2011 against Colorado, Washington rushed for 295, 228, 316, 236, 265, 254, last year 201, and this year 32 yards. So that's obviously a huge difference. Yeah, and I, I want to say they had something like 88 yards total in the first half. Jeez. Um, yeah. And yeah, and and then, you know, deep in the fourth quarter, but after they mounted the comeback to get to 2014, just not being able to do anything offensively. Um, so even once they got in that rhythm in the third quarter, not being able to do anything in the final two drives, I think their final drive actually was, I think, like three plays for negative 15 yards or something like that. Oh, okay, um, yeah, I think yeah, I think there was a big negative play, but yeah. then they had the good punt that put Colorado back. Right. Yeah, right. Just gave them more room to work with on their five minute losing <laughs> drive. So nine game losing streak for cause another more streaks ending uh, nine game losing streak to Washington. Uh, the Huskies were outgained 430 to 230 um, and 61 touchdown passes for Steven Montez is now the most in school history. Uh, Cordell Stewart was one and then one other guy. They were they were tied with 60 apiece. So um, and Cordell Stewart was there. He was actually an honorary captain. Uh, for the game, and they reckon in the twenty fifth uh, anniversary of the miracle at Michigan, where Stewart completed that sixty four yard uh, Harold Mary to uh, Michael Westbrook. So, kind of all that stuff tied together. But it was a neat night for Stephen Montez that he could uh, get the school record there. But it's it's crazy. He sixty one touchdowns in his career. It's crazy. That is crazy. Uh, nice. All right. So next up, uh, we have. Let's see. This is our number nine team, UCLA Bruins. <laughs> And they were on the road taking on our number three team, USC Trojans. Yeah, so this one, honestly, it it played out kind of the way I thought it would. I just, I, I basically picked wrong because I thought it would be on the upswing for UCLA when the game would end, where they'd be down the 10. Okay. But they finished, you know, on the USC upswing. It was very Because close, it kept yeah. going 10-17, 10-17, yeah. 10-17. Um, so the spread was right. I mean, it was like kind of in that range. It was. Um, yeah. We so just the picked spread was thirteen and a half. So yeah. It was close, yeah. So we just picked the, the. I picked the wrong range. You picked the right range. Um, so USC ended up winning fifty two thirty five. It was really. I mean, it, honestly, a very simple game to analyze. UCLA couldn't cover USC's receivers, and that was just obvious and apparent the entire game after a drive and a half, more yeah. or less. Um, and from that point on, USC just basically didn't stop scoring because um, he could find whatever they were doing with Michael Pittman, which it seemed like they were trying to play him physically and, and forced him into more of a possession role where he had to play just kind of within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage um, just as like a pressure valve. Um, Drake London, just wide open downfield. Yeah. <laughs> or Tyler Vaughn's just wide open or interfered with downfield. Or who's the other guy? I'm um, on Ross St. Brown. I'm yeah. on Ross St. Brown, who... Basically, the biggest limiting factor for USC on the day was that Amon Ross St. Brown put, like, grease on his hands before the game or something because he had, like, two drops and a fumble. Oh, yeah, he fumbled the puck, um, too, yeah. But it was just, you know, it was one of those games where UCLA needed to get a stop at some point because UCLA's offense was able to move the ball itself. They, they, they did job, a yeah. really great job in the second half, especially. Um, they just weren't – they didn't have that mismatch advantage that USC did, so they had to do more stuff to create it. Um uh, USC clearly keyed to stop Joshua Kelly. They yes. were not going to let him go off again. 
um, which left some opportunities for Dorian Thompson Robinson. He had some throws, especially late in the game. Um, but ultimately, um, UCLA's offense wasn't wasn't able to get to that level where they could just match them score for score. They had a low in the first half, then they kind of did in the second half, but they weren't able to keep it up the whole game the way USC was. Um, and uh, UCLA's defense is terrible. Uh, whenever they've been up against an offense that's even top half, let alone you know USC's very good offense, they've been awful. Um, anybody with a good quarterback who can complete some throws has been able to tear up this secondary all year. Uh, this may have been the toughest matchup among any of those matchups. I mean, I think I'd put USC's specific passing attack up probably above Oklahoma's just because of the talent of that group of receivers. Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it kind of went the way I was expecting. Um, it was a complete beatdown. Um, USC set some of its own records um, in this one. And, uh, yeah, UCLA is now 4-7. and seven. Um, They need to figure out something defensively, which is code for probably need to make some defensive staff changes um, because this is two years in a row where the offense has turned out to be fine by the end of the year not great but fine um but the defense has been the huge limiting factor it's been yeah. what's prevented them from bowl games the last two years so they need to get that figured out the one thing you got to give ucla some credit too because when it was a 24 point game and it just seemed like it was out of reach they got a couple stops and then end up turning into a 10 point game and you're like oh wow this could really turn things around then it just became a back and forth thing then it went 17 10 17 10 and ended up uh, 17 but yeah, I, I thought that was a, a good move when UCLA was able to kind of bounce back to turn it from, you know, a four score game into like back to a two score game. Like, okay, that's, uh, you know, making some progress. But you're right. There was just too much going on for the second time this century in college football. Four different wide receivers for one team had over 100 yards, um, which is kind of crazy. I think six for the whole game did. But um, Keaton Slovis set a school record 515 yards. Uh, all four of those receivers you mentioned had over 100 yards, and Michael Pittman was the last one to get there. I think that's only happened, someone tweeted something like, it's only happened like four times like in college football history or something, so it's pretty rare occasion. But I love the way Dorian Thompson-Robinson played. USC was really happy to limit Joshua Kelly to 45 yards, I believe, after he went for like 290 right. last year. But what was that, you know, what were you giving up there? And Dorian Thompson-Robinson gained 93 yards from scrimmage. He had, it ended up being like 64 because of the sacks. But threw for 367, three touchdowns and a pick. Devin Asiasi, huge game. Um, I mean, they really, UCLA was doing a lot in the passing game. And Dorian, I thought Dorian Thompson-Robinson looked really good. And yeah, there were probably some times where he just kind of took off and ran when he didn't see much. But it worked a lot too. So it wasn't like he was taking off and running and it wasn't working. So it's... But it was just too much firepower. You, this was a UCLA secondary giving up almost 300 yards a game. Now, now they are giving up more than 300. Oh, yeah. Because cause the 500, you know, put it a, a 50 spot in 500. Well, it, it, it was embarrassing, too. Like, there were plays that were just like um, that one Pittman touchdown where he actually caught it just in front of the end zone. And you can see UCLA's corners. Uh, it was Darnay Holmes, and I think it was actually a safety. Just kind of hold up. And it's like, if you run through his hands right there, you I mean, he's got strong mitts. I mean, you're not going to break up too many passes to Michael Pittman. He got a shot, though, yeah. But go hit him. I mean, just go hit those hands and see if you can get him before they cross the plane because he wasn't in the end zone. It was right in front of the end zone. It was just, I mean, there were some embarrassing, like, there, there was some quitting behavior going on in the second half, bit. too, because I think they were all like, we can't cover these guys. Um, and I think that started to get into their heads a little bit. Um 
yeah, them going over the top to Drake London over Stephen Blaylock, that was <laughs> like that. There was just some plays, and then um, the tackling got really bad in the second half. Yeah. They just could not bring him down, and they kind of lost the the will a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, great win for Clay Helton. <laughs> Um, I mean, to, to do this with such a young team, with a, with a young quarterback and Keaton Slovis, I mean, it, it it's truly incredible stuff. Um, Dave's a great troller. Did, it's, I think I feel like I, I got Dave today because I tweeted um, I tweeted something. My staff kind of gave me crap for tweeting it, but I, it got a lot of attention. And, you know, you forget, like, yes, you can have an impact. But I tweeted – if you want different results than what you're getting, you have to try different approaches. I put hashtag USC and a little Elmo where he does the like shrugging the shoulders like, uh-huh. eh. um, and so I get texts like, Hey, did something happen? What happened? It's like, really, there wasn't any kind of like, we've definitely heard from people that, Hey, Clay Elton's coming back and, and fans are like, Oh my God, they're like going to explode. I didn't hear anything real specific about that, but I just felt like I would tweet that out. And I thought it was funny. And like Keely and Chaka are like, Dude, you can't do that. That's irresponsible. And I was People like, are gonna murder you. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I think it's the right move, right? When you can re- you reti- when you can retain a coach who what in his second year took you to a Rose Bowl, won mm. a Rose Bowl, developed a top five quarterback in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> who are you gonna find that's better than that? So good, David. And it's so funny when David tweets that and then the fa- the USC fans that don't know that you're trolling and they're like it's trying to so argue with good. you. Like, it's they're trying so to understand. Like, David, don't you under- don't you get it? Like they're 13 and 11 the last two years well, with the best, the best talent in the, the country. The best part is I can just use all of the like really awful arguments I've heard from like UCLA <laughs> fans for retaining a coach over the years. I'm just like, <laughs> I've just got them in memory. I'm like, oh, no, he's got a young quarterback. But what about but but how does that affect special teams and everything? Well, you can't measure the the effect of inexperience at the most important position on the field. It's so good. <laughs> it's so much fun. Uh, good stuff. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see. We don't know. You so as far as the Pac-12 race goes, because Utah won, um, USC's done. The they have the tiebreaker over Utah. So if somehow Colorado beats Utah, USC goes to the Pac-12 championship game. So if you're wondering what the Clay Helton stuff is, nothing's happening this week. They had a meeting. They had meetings already early on the week. They uh, released the players. They're preparing for Oregon like they were preparing this week just in case something happens. Um, but if something happens as far as the new athletic director, Mike Bone, firing Clay Helton, my guess has been and you know has been, it continues to be after seeing this week, it would happen after the game Saturday. So like say Utah wins, USC officially didn't win the South. Now you can say, "All right, we're going to let you go because you didn't win the South." But or I, or that'll be the announcement of the extension. Or I mean, I don't know if it's the extension, but it it would be something about, "Hey, he's coming back." The lifetime so, deal. The life, <laughs> they could do that too. So yeah, so that's where we're kind of standing with all that. So I don't know. People keep asking me if you saw my tweet. I I thought it was funny, but I, some people I did not. Well, you, you thought it might be serious, too. I did, but I laughed yeah. after you told me it wasn't. But it was good. And it could be serious. It's sort of like a message, too. Like, hey, you know, like, is, is this what you want? All right, if that's what you want, it's what you get. Uh, let's see. We have, uh, so number eight, Cal, we already talked about. Uh, number number seven, crazy. Oregon State Beavers. 
and they're taking on our now number five team, Washington State Cougars. Our number five team is three and five in conference, by the way. Just so you know. <laughs> um, this this game was super fun. Anybody who didn't watch it completely missed out. Um, yeah, so Oregon State, Washington State played a barn burner. Um, it was a basketball score, a low scoring basketball game, but a basketball game nonetheless. Washington State pulled out the fifty four fifty three win. Um, so I, I like a basketball game. I don't even want to talk about like any of the action up until the last like couple of minutes, um, <laughs> because I thought, so there's been some consternation about, um, uh, Jonathan Smith's decision-making at the end of the game. Um, so Oregon state, uh, was ahead 53, 48. So they had actually a pretty big lead. Uh, they were up 53, 42, it was 53, 42 with like four seventeen left with yeah. four seventeen left. And then Washington state goes down and scores really quickly. Um, it was basically in two minutes, they drove the field for a touchdown. Um, and so then on the next, um, series for Oregon state, uh, they get the ball at about midfield after the, um, I think it was an onside kick attempt. Um, yeah, it was an onside kick and, uh, they're not able to generate a fourth, uh, first down. And then they've got a fourth and four at the Washington state 43, um, end of game is always interesting with these decisions, um, whether or not you decide to punt or not. Um, with one fourteen to go, he attempts to go for it. That's the right call. Um, the reason why it's you're right, good with that. Okay, you're good because with that. if you punt that, um, you're at most shaven probably five seconds off um, <laughs> right there. Like, no, but like the time-wise. So you're right, still right, giving yeah. them a minute. Yeah. Um, Washington State's offense is – that's built where it can drive the field in a minute. Um, and at the, playing the odds, as we've often said, when you're punting from like the 43, um, a lot of the time you're kicking that into the end zone. So what you're gaining is 23 yards of field position and you're giving up possession. If you maintain possession, you win the game. Yeah. Um, so it's basically a play where it's at given the way that offense was moving the ball. It's 50-50 at worst that you're making that fourth down. Like 50-50, you win the game. 50-50, you win the game right there. And the other 50% of the time built within that 50% of the time is you stop them. Yeah. Um, so the best odds are if you go for it right there. Um, if it had been less time, if it had been 30 seconds left or even less, I think that's the point at which you punt it. Um, because if they've got 20 seconds left, they're not driving the field for a touchdown unless it's a fluky situation. But with a full minute to go, I think it was the right call. Yeah. Then Washington State, of course, drives down and scores. Um, <laughs> and, but they did it in, again, about, I mean, it ended up being a minute, um, more or less. So um, it was, I mean, it, and, you know, I called this one, and this was even being a little bit drunk at the end of Saturday night. Um, but if you watch the way it, it sets up that final play um, for Washington State, they ran it in. But if you're watching it, Washington State's like a full box count offense. And so you look at it and you're like, oh, they're spreading Oregon State out. And Oregon State had like this huge gap on the right side of their defensive line. I'm like, oh, they're going to run it for a touchdown right here. Yeah. And it was so easy. I mean, they just handed it off to Max Borgie for the touchdown and Washington State went ahead and then they went for two smartly. Um, but or they, no, the, no, they um they need out the uh the 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 um the PAT. The PAT. But it was um really fun, well played game. Everybody had a great time offensively, I'm sure. That uh, so that final play, Anthony Gordon. There was it was a pass play, and they saw I forget who they were going to, but they he said that they were like double covering over there, and so and and Max Borgie's the guy that guaranteed that they were going to get this win, which it didn't look like that guarantee was coming true, and he sa- tells them like, 
hey, I'm gonna, you're going to win the game. He's like, I got, you know, and, and Max Borg is like, I got it. And they did it. And yeah. uh, it was pretty impressive. I know you don't want to talk about the other parts of the game, but that onside kick by Oregon. No, we can talk about this game forever if you okay. want. Okay. Okay. But the onside kick was like seven and a half minutes left or something. Went that to get they. That's when they went up uh, 53-42, I believe, at the time. Yeah. So they hammered an onside kick like directly at the the line and it like bounces off the guy. And I love that. Like, isn't that <laughs> awesome? Like, that's if you could do that, like as a kicker, wouldn't you want to just nail? It's like if you're playing racquetball, oh, yeah. you just want to hit the guy that you're playing. Like, you just want to nail the dude right in front of you. He's not going to catch it. Like, you're just going <laughs> to, like, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you can master that, like kicking it directly at somebody and not having them dodge it. Yeah. Because it's going to bounce off him, and you have a really good shot at, at recovering that, oh, yeah. I would think. Oh, yeah. And even if it doesn't work, it's going to it's gonna squib down, and it'll be like a squib kick or something. But if you get it, if you nail the guy, I love that play. Yeah. this uh, well, And, like, this game, it was so interesting because there were, like, two separate, like, double-digit leads for teams in the second half that flipped. <laughs> and, like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, how does that happen? Um this was uh, this was the most. I mean, I think even more than that UCLA comeback versus Washington State earlier crazy, this year. Yeah. This was the most Pac-12 game. Like this was like peak when Pac-12 after dark was like at its peak, which was like 2013, 2014. Yeah, this felt like that. Like this felt like wow, what's going on here? This is insane. Like when you when the the NCAA video game existed, and like you pick some team. And you like David, you're David's playing. He gets, you know, he's beating the computer by a lot. And he comes down to the end and he looks at his quarterback. And his quarterback went 50 of 70 for 606 yards, six touchdowns, and three picks. <laughs> that sounds about right, right? Sounds like, right. Yeah. That, that's what Anthony Gordon did. Like, that's, yeah. what he, that's what he actually did in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> this was a ton of fun. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, both teams played well. Um, it was, uh, I mean, both teams offense well. I won't say both teams played well. <laughs> there was there was some not great things defensively happening in this one, but um, yeah, I mean, Washington State now is assuredly going bowling. Oregon State still has an opportunity. Um, Oregon State, the, the, I do want to just. I know we've brought this up a lot. Oregon State is so close to have having had like a really good year. Like they're so yeah. close to like eight and I, three right now. It's a very good. It's a good year. For it's Oregon it's State. a good year for Oregon State right now. But they're, it could have been like a they're good close year. to have had a. They're close to having had an objectively good year. Okay. Like they could be eight and three right now without too many things flipping. Um, just been a kind of a, a a shockingly tough luck year for a five and six Oregon State team. Yeah, over a thousand passing yards in this game, and Gordon. 45 touchdowns this season. So that breaks, I believe, is the Pac-12 season single uh, single season passing record. Jake Browning and Jared Goff, I think they both had that, which is crazy. Yeah. Like Jake Browning had the single season. Like, holy crap. Like, we gave him a lot of crap, but uh, he was up there. But, you know, huge uh, year for Anthony Gordon. Washington State, too. I mean, how many games did they lose that you could have uh, – I mean, they're three and five in conference. Um, I mean, they could have easily won more games and – and, you know, th the reason we have them ranked as high as we are is just because they look like a pretty good team, even though they've lost some games. Um, you know, Oregon State's four and four in conference. Like, coming in the season, you take that all day, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, they got a chance, you know, they got to win at Oregon, which is not going to be easy. But still, I mean, it's something. We'll talk it. Yeah. We'll talk. Okay. Uh, let's see. So, we already talked about uh, number six, Washington, uh, number five, Washington State. Um this game we haven't talked about yet. 
I don't know. I don't know if you watched this one at all. Uh, it was. It was. I think it was on like Pac-12 Network. No one was really checking this one out. This is uh, our number four team, Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> And our former number one team, now number two, Oregon Ducks. I mean, it was a scrappy, I thought, performance for Oregon, um, given that they were going against a, a team with significantly better quarterback talent. <laughs> so you're not in the uh, Justin Herbert. I've never been in the Justin yeah. Herbert camp. But um, Arizona State, obviously, with the huge win, 31-28 over Oregon. Um, despite uh, Herm's best efforts to, uh, <laughs> to to have him lose late, um, they managed a one-score win in a game that they were uh, kind of dominating for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, it was mostly Jaden Daniels there at the end with a bomb to Brandon Ayuk to more or less uh, seal this one. That was ridiculous. That was a crazy play. <laughs> um, and that was at the point where it was, I think it was 24-21, ASU just kind of hanging on because um, Oregon had started to fire at that point. Um, they had scored two straight touchdowns, um, and then he throws this deep bomb down the sideline to Brandon Ayuk for, I think it was 81 yards. Yeah, 81 yards uh, touchdown. It was... That was such a that beautiful was like your, throw. Like three fifty four to play, and that was like a Just, dagger. And it yeah. was such a dagger because it was like, a, what was it? It was a third and sixteen. They just got yes. sacked. Like it was one of those plays where it's like at that point you think, oh, it's Herm Edwards. They're going to call a draw or something and just try right. to punt and trust their defense. And they throw a bomb down we, the sideline. We've seen this in the Pac twelve. Like people pick up the third and sixteens. But this is like, and that's demoralizing. Like yeah. you, you get an eighteen yard game. You're like, oh, you just gave up eighteen yards on third and sixteen. Right. You gave up eighty one yards on third and sixteen. It's like something else. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So uh, that was that was a, that was a huge play. But I mean, Jaden Daniels was sharp throughout. Yeah. I mean, he was an absolute stud throughout. He he had a couple of those just like big deep passes. Um, he was awesome. Um, and the defense, I thought, was really, really good um, for much of this game. Um, they were opportunistic, um, which basically means Justin Herbert was kind of bad, and they were able to catch the ball when he threw it to him. Um, he had a really rough game until the final couple of drives. It was bad, yeah. I mean, he just looked completely off, um, and how he's kind of looked sometimes in, in really – tough competitive situations um, where he's just kind of struggled to make throws against defenses that are, um, you know, maybe doing a few different tricky things to stop him. But um, yeah, when he's had to like make reads and, and do like full progressions out of a pocket and figure things out, not super sharp. Um, but he threw a couple of bad picks in this one. Um, and yeah, I mean, but that offense was not able to do anything early. And frankly, the defense kind of broke down against this passing attack, which I think was the most the most shocking thing in this one was just how much trouble they had stopping this passing attack. Yeah, 408 yards passing, 535 total yards. Yep. Like, this is a really good defense. And Arizona State just torched them. Oh, yeah. Crazy. It's to, remember, You remember last year where like Oregon's offense, you're like, we expected it to be here, and but they performed here. But there were sort of like excuses of why that yeah. was happening, and I don't know. I don't know what the excuses are here. Like there's, I think NFL scouts look at Justin Herbert and they're like, man, he looks exactly what we want. I don't know if we're seeing. I mean, we're not seeing anything close to that as far. I mean, there's some great throws. He does some great things. 
but not on a consistent basis. And this is a, you know, when everything's on the line, you just have to, you know, you got to beat ASU and Oregon state and you have a decent shot at going to the college football playoff. And, uh, that wasn't the case in this one, but it was, it was 24 to seven. And like you said, ASU felt like they were going to win out. And then Oregon got a couple of quick ones. That third and 16 was absolutely, um, huge. And, uh, so Brandon Ayuk afterwards, he said he was glad to see Oregon playing the man-to-man coverage. And he said, they think they're big, bad, mighty Oregon. So I kind of had a feeling that they were going to come out and do what they do. Uh, last year, we had we had them talking to themselves. A lot of big talkers. They didn't say, uh, say too much today. So sort of one of that, that arrogant thing where like, oh, we're going to play a man-to-man and just get absolutely burned on third and 16. Like you can't, you cannot let that happen. Yeah. And, you know, I think Frank Darby has obviously been um, an enigma at different points over the years. I think for ASU fans, some, because he's got real talent, like really uh, has some strong ability and he's shown up in flashes over the years. Um, but he played, I mean, some of his biggest snaps in this one, yeah. um, getting four catches for 125 yards and two touchdowns. He has that kind of big playability too. But Ayuk is a special speedster. Yeah. Um, just his ability to get behind a defense. Um yeah, I mean this was uh kind of one of those weird Pac twelve games that can happen. Um, but I mean the the Herbert thing, I mean, he's obviously gonna be like a top ten, top fifteen pick. Right. Um the the question is whether he's actually all that stuff that he's hyped up to be that he's a like a legitimate Heisman contender, which I didn't really buy, or a top pick in the draft, which I still don't buy. Um, and that's just based off of watching him the last couple of years. Um, yeah, it's hard to. Well, but the NFL looks at potential, and if you saw, there was a stretch. Uh, Oregon, I think it was in the fourth quarter, six minutes and thirty eight seconds. Oregon scored three touchdowns. You know, yeah. like, it was like boom, 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 and you're like, oh, I could see why. Uh, you like him, but, um, you know, they needed to be more consistent offensively, especially on a day when the Oregon defense was struggling. The Oregon defense hadn't allowed a play of 40 or more yards all season. And they gave up three of them in this game. Um, and you know, this is very pac 12, David, you have one team on a nine game winning streak and one team on a four game losing streak with a lot on the line. For the game, the team on the nine game winning streak. One one team could one guy could foresee it. You did something like this happening. You um, did. This was like the worst pick I had. So this was Oregon favored by fourteen, and and they lost. So another <laughs> another double digit Pac twelve North favorite goes down. And one other note about Herbert. Um, just one thing that has been noticeably different this year is he is not running the ball at all. Yeah. And in years past, I mean, he wasn't like running away with it but he was keeping team teams honest more in the run game um and that's not happening this year it's like they're protecting him yeah, yeah he's and you know he's had some injury issues so it's understandable but um 161 rushing yards his first year 183 166 and then negative 21 this year wow so um all right well that's our roundup because we had U- number three usc we already talked about just number two oregon and number one utah we already talked about plus i forgot i want to give uh Washington State Cougars. I got to give them their good sound because they did win the game. So there you go. I forgot about that. Um, well, okay. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and preview all of week 14. All right. We're back here on the podcast. 
of Champions. David, you ready to preview six more games? I was born ready to preview all of the football games. We got all of the football games. We got a Friday. So last week, um, all on Saturday. So this week we do have a Friday game. Uh, we got more uh, rivalry games this this week, which would be good. So uh, Friday, this is Friday afternoon. Ooh, Ooh. I like that. Okay, so we have, we call it the Apple Cup. We have Washington State Cougars. Ah, crap, I did it again. I'll give you the good one. Washington State Cougars. And that, I'm just so used to pressing that one button. Uh, taking on Washington Huskies. This is the Civil War, right? Yes, you're right. territorial war. Yes, <laughs> the territorial <laughs> battle for the victory bell cup. I think they play for a an axe or something. Yeah, they yeah, stand yeah. and that stare at right. each other. Yeah, the territorial <laughs> cup. Um, all right, this one's on at one p.m. on Fox. Washington State traveling to Washington Husky Stadium. Uh, Washington is favored by seven points uh, in this game. Um, it's not the same kind of Washington defense it's been in the past. Um, but it's still Jimmy Lake and Jimmy Lake knows how to defend that Washington state air raid. Um, so I'm going to take Washington, um, because I told myself last year after our most recent bloodbath at the hands of Washington, when we picked uh, Washington state that I would never do it again, at least until Washington state under Mike Leach proved that they can win this one. So I will take Washington. All right. Uh, I'm going to go the Cougs in this one. I think the... Uh, Godspeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, wish, I wish you the best of luck. I I know it could be ugly, but I've seen Washington play. Like, they just played Colorado. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they just played Colorado. Yeah. And it did not look good. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, it's tough. But seven points, that's a lot. For me, is Was- it? <laughs> Washington, how much, but how much is Washington going to score? Like, I think Washington State's not going to go. Do I have to take you back through the history of the Apple Cup, the recent history of the it's Apple Cup? It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But I need to, I need to gain some, some on you, and I'm going to, I'm going to go Washington State. So, wow. Um, okay. So let me just give you the most recent scores. All right. Uh, last year, uh, Washington 28, Washington State 15. Uh, the previous year, Washington 41, Washington State 14. The previous year, Washington 45, Washington State 17. The previous year, Washington 45, Washington State 10. The previous year, Washington 31, Washington State 13. And then I think before that, it was all different coaches. So it's trending in the right direction because last year was like Last year was a snowstorm. Like it was a blizzard. But this year, Washington is garbage. And Washington State is better than last year? No, they're not. We have Washington State. Ranked ahead of Washington in our power rankings. I trust the power rankings, and Obviously. I'm getting seven points. Obviously. Um, Good luck and Godspeed to you. Well, uh, you know, both teams are three and five in conference. So let me just tell you the last four times these things have happened, Washington State's been ranked in every single one of those. Right. So I like their chances better. So they're as losing, an losing by double digits <laughs> and in blowout fashion in three of those. I games. like their chances as an unranked team. Okay. All right. Uh, this one, this is a Civil War type of uh, a combat thing we got going on here. Okay, so this one we have Oregon State Beavers on the road in Eugene taking on Oregon Ducks. Yeah, so this one is at 1 p.m. on Saturday 
on the Pac-12 network. So the previous one is 1 p.m. on Friday. Uh, 1 p.m. on Saturday on the Pac-12 network. Pac-12 network for the Civil War? Where? For Oregon? Wow. Was it, gonna, it wouldn't have been if they won, right? That I couldn't don't know, have been. It couldn't have been. Wow. Um, that can't be. That is sad. Um, anyway, uh, we won't. I'm excited for Friday afternoon football, though. But like, I, I love that we got the uh, the Apple Cup like Friday afternoon. I yeah, like that. exactly. Um, so Oregon State going on the road to take on Oregon in Eugene. Oregon is favored by 19 points. Okay, so um, ASU just showed a little bit of what you can do um, with some speedy receivers. That's not really the makeup of Oregon State's offense. Uh, they're more of the, I mean, Isaiah Hodgins is really good, but he's not going to burn you the way Brandon Ayuk will. Um, mm. So I think Oregon is going to be able to have a better defensive game against Oregon State. This is one of those where I think Oregon State, they're going to look really good offensively against everyone who's like out of the top 25 defensively. But if they are kind of in that top 25 range defensively, which I believe Oregon still is. Yeah, they're number 19 in the SP plus. Uh, they're going to have more issues moving the ball. Um, so I think this could be one where Oregon wins pretty comfortably. Um, I think they'll have, they'll have their head screwed on straight for it. Um, I don't think there's going to be that um, dip in intensity. Um, because it is the rivalry game for them. Yeah. I mean, it's the second rivalry, but it's a rivalry game for them. Um, so I'll take Oregon. I think it's a good matchup for them. I think they'll be able to um, handle the offense um, because they are a really good defense, and that's the one the one limiter for Oregon State this year is just that their offense has been very good against middling teams. It's struggled when it's gone against the, the high-level athletes on defense for different teams, so... Yeah, I'll take Oregon minus 19. I don't know, man. There's so many points. Like It's a ton of points. I don't think Oregon State's going to win, but I I don't feel comfortable. And I've been terrible at picking Oregon State when I think, oh, they're going to be good. They've been better on the road, you know? That's and true. I think I'm going to take the the points and the beeves. Um, what is Oregon playing for? They already know they got the Pac-12 North wrapped up. They don't have a playoff berth on the line. So there's really the, the game doesn't really matter Mm-mm. outside of being a rivalry game. I'm not saying they're going to lay an egg, but I, I don't know if the intensity level is going to be quite as high as it would have been if they had won last week. Now, they might want to come home and just, it could be a complete revenge thing. We've seen that happen. I think Oregon, that happened early in the season, right? It was uh, Oregon, uh, yeah, they, when they lost to Auburn and they just put a butt whooping on Nevada, 77 to 6. Maybe they do something like that to Oregon State. Um, but I don't know. I just, I like the Oregon State offense. I think they're feisty enough. They've done some things on defense, um, not last week, but <laughs> not last week. <laughs> but other times they have. I'll take the beeves and the points and see how it see how it falls out. I, I don't have a problem with that. Like I'm not going to feel terrible about like yeah, okay, Oregon won by 35. Like I saw that happening, but I'm not I'm not going to like lay that many points uh, with the with the, this offense for the Beavers, which I like. Cool. All right, let's uh, move on. This one doesn't really have a name, uh, but we have Stanford Cardinal uh, hosting the. You want to do your the Fighting Irish? Pretty good. Like I like good? that. Yeah, I like right? that. Huh? Yeah. All right. This is another one p.m. Usually game. Do like the dancing, like uh, leprechaun thing. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> um, oh, me pot of gold. 
I don't know. <laughs> uh, 1 p.m. on Fox. So another 1 p.m.er. Uh, number 16, Notre Dame traveling to Stanford Stadium to take on the Cardinal. Notre Dame is a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. I confess I haven't watched much Notre Dame football this year. I've watched a little bit, but not much. Um, they are 9-2. and two. Their two losses are to Georgia and Michigan. They got blown out by Michigan. Um, blown they out. They lost to Georgia by six. Um, and But of late, they've been just straight murdering teams. Uh, they beat the hell out of Duke on the road, um, beat the crap out of Navy at home, and then just um, throttled BC last week. I don't know how those teams really compare to Stanford this year. I think BC might be similar, maybe a little bit worse. Um, but Stanford's very bad. Um, very, 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 very bad. Um, so ferocious yeah i'm gonna go notre dame kind of sight unseen um stanford's just so bad I, I i don't feel comfortable picking them against a team that's ostensibly good um so yeah i'll take notre dame i think they crush them i'm gonna agree with you there notre dame's kind of slow starts and then they've they've uh piled on a little bit i think they can do that against stanford plus i'm a little bitter that stanford let me down last week after picking them when i, f- I felt like this was this little blip like they were going to come out and yeah. they're going to look good and uh, they most certainly did not. So, yeah, I'm going to go Notre Dame on this one as well. We'll see what the Fighting Irish do. They're not, you know, they're playing for a better bowl. Stanford isn't really playing for anything. Just losing to Cal for the first time in a decade. It, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Notre Dame will probably win comfortably by 21 or 24 or something like that. Yep. This one, um, do we have a name? It's like the Battle of the Rocky Mountains or something. I don't remember if we actually have a name for this, if we made something up. But this one is the Colorado Buffalo. Taking on our number one team, Utah Utes. This is on at 1.30 p.m. on ABC, Colorado traveling to number six, Utah. Uh, It's on at 4.30. Oh, sorry, 4.30. I'm so used Hawaii time. I am so used to doing the math in my head because I'm always looking at the East Coast times okay. that I'm adjusting them three hours back. Yeah. I'm looking at Pacific Coast right now. Nice. I'm on the Pacific Coast. Uh, Colorado at 4.30, traveling to Utah on ABC. Uh, Utah. Now, this is the tricky part for me because Utah is favored by 28 and a half points. Ooh. Okay. I've got to go Colorado because yeah. 28 and a half is half a point too many for me to think that Utah's going to cover that. Because Utah, we just saw them throttle Arizona, crush them, and they won by 28 points because it's Utah and they're not going to like play a super high possession, high volume game. They're going to play their game. Yeah. And, and I mean, they're going to light you up, but it's not going to be that sort of game. And I, I think Colorado will be frisky. I think they're going to really try to get to that bull win. I think Utah actually will win this by like, 17 to 21 i don't even see the 28 so yeah give me uh give me colorado i'll do the same it just this is a lot of points i think you're gonna see a decent effort from colorado coming off a big win i mean that's arizona looked like like a fish just like out of water just like kind of flapping around yeah. on the, a sidewalk and well, they've been dead in the water for weeks yeah i mean arizona's been ugh. and utah barely covered that game so yeah. i think you're gonna get this is not gonna be a dead fish this is gonna be you know, Steven Montez, LaVisca Chenault, that, you know, Mustafa Johnson, like a feisty defense. I mean, that might wake Utah up and make them score more. I don't know. But, like, it's sort of like they were beating up a, 
a cadaver before. Yeah, no, they're just <laughs> flo- flogging a dead body. It was really awful. It wasn't pretty. No, um, and they, yeah, like you said, they only what well, they won by twenty eight, right? Like yep. they, they didn't wouldn't even have covered. Um, I will. I think you're going to see a much better effort from Colorado. So that's just too many points. Utah could totally do it. Um, everyone's going to tell us they're seven one now against the spread or whatever it is. We picked them last week. This is a lot of points, guys. It's not you know we think Utah's great. We think they're going to win by a bunch, three touchdowns, but that's just you know more than four touchdowns just seems like too many. Yep. All right, this one is the Territorial Cup. We got Arizona Wildcats. On the road, taking on Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> All right, 7 p.m. on ESPN, Arizona traveling to ASU. ASU is favored by 14 points. Um, yeah, this one's really going to come down to how much pride Arizona's playing with right now. Um, as a 4-7 and seven team, they obviously don't have any chance at a bowl game. Um, so how... How into this game are they going to be um, and whether or not they can really, uh, uh, you know, get up for this game to keep it pretty close. Um, and that's not to say they can't win the game. They can. Obviously, rivalry games are weird. Um, I just think ASU is kind of a fundamentally better team at several levels. Um, I think ASU is going to be able to do it. I think Jaden Daniels is back and now fully healthy. Um, and I think that they're going to be playing with some confidence coming into this one. They've got, I think, bull positioning to play for. You know, if they can get to um, uh, that seventh win, um, I think they might be able to get it themselves into a higher-tier bowl, especially with how few Pac-12 teams are going to end up bowl-eligible this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I think ASU is going to cover the 14 points and uh, and win this one comfortably. I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to take Arizona. Now, they're not on a... Not, I know why you're going to do that. Why? To pick opposite me to see if you can win the regular season. No, title. I mean, this, I, I do want to pick opposite you, but I just feel like that's a lot of points. And I, I'm going to take... I'm taking the points a lot this week. Now... I'm forgetting something. What? Hold on. I think we're now in three or four straight weeks again where Herm has played one possession games. Hang on. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. USC... Five points. Okay. Oregon State, one point. And then Oregon, three points. We're back to regular Herm. Sorry, I'm reversing my pick. Are you? Yeah, I know. It's, it's Arizona. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will stick with you on the Arizona thing. Um, if you look, I, I don't know. I just That's my gut feeling right now. So no, no, you're right. You're dead right. Because Herm is back on the winning train. And the winning train for Herm is win or lose, it's going to be a single position. Yeah. But both these teams, okay, they're maybe not coming in on fire. Like, okay, say Arizona has lost their last six games, mm-hmm. just for like, which which actually has happened. And say Arizona State has lost four of their last five. So it just seems like, yes, it was a huge win. Are people putting way too much in that win over Oregon, where you're gonna you you have ASU ranked fourth in the Pac-12? Like that doesn't make sense to me. There's still a team that lost a bunch of games. Um, that's a lot of points. I think Herm keeps them close a lot of the times. Maybe you get a feisty Arizona to try to finish off the season. Obviously, you want to try to knock off your rival ASU. I, I just, I, I'd feel much more comfortable taking those points, not knowing how this game is going to go, than than laying them. So I will take Arizona and agree with you. Great. And this one, does this have a name? The the battle for the fight song, the, the same fight song or something? I don't know. Bear in a sweater versus a laser bear. Laser bear versus the bear in a sweater. Uh, old time 
Uh, so we have California Golden Bears. They'll be in the Rose Bowl taking on UCLA Bruins. Yeah, 7.30. One more of these, UCLA fans. Just got to watch one more of these, and then the season <laughs> will be over. Uh, 7.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Hopefully it will not be preempted by truck racing. California traveling to the Rose Bowl to take on the Bruins. Yeah. UCLA. I'm very curious. I have no idea what this line will be, so I'm curious. UCLA huh? is favored. Favored? By two points. Hmm. Um, yeah, so this one's tricky because, again, it's based – so the line is based on trending right now because the stats will say that UCLA should probably be favored by, like, five, um, five or six. But the trend lines are Cal's trending up because Chase Garbers is back. UCLA's trending down because their defense can't stop a soul. From a matchup perspective – um. This would seemingly be a better matchup for UCLA's defense. Um, they would seemingly be able to pressure Chase Garbers. They would seemingly be have a better chance of covering this receiving core. Um, but you've also got to factor in, and this is a, a, a real thing over the years, the emotional letdown thing that happens to UCLA sometimes after the USC game. Win or lose. Win or lose. Um, they come back the next week and can often just lay an absolute egg because they get so amped up for that game that it's then for the next one. Um, so that's that's kind of a tricky thing you have to build in because I would probably have this as a UCLA, not comfortable win, but probably like a touchdown win. Oh. Just like right now based on actual play factors. But okay. I have to build in that idea that you know, they might just be done. They might be completely done with the season, especially because they have nothing to play for. So um, with all of that said, I'm going to take Cal. Um, I think they went outright. Um, I think UCLA is going to be in that emotional lull. Um, I think it'll be close-ish, but I think it'll be ugly as hell. Like, I think it'll be like 17-14. Um, and I think it's just going to be, you know, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is also, he's not practiced the last couple of days, or at least not in our viewing period, because he had ankle problems against um, USC. Oh. If he's not available, what happens? Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll take Cal. I, I'll take Cal to uh, to win this one. All right. Uh, I'm going to agree with you here. I just, having seen UCLA last week, I think Cal's defense is going to do a better job uh, than what USC's defense was able to do against UCLA. And, you know, Chase Garbers is my league MVP. So That's true. And I, you can't bet against the MVP. I can't bet against him. So I'm going to go Cal on this one, um, fully expecting them to lay an egg and UCLA like finishes off on a high note. But yeah, I think I'll take Cal and we'll see uh, We'll see how it goes. All right. So we only pick differently on the Apple and Civil War. And the other four, we pick the same? I think so. Okay. So we can... Uh, We'll probably split those and be yeah, have the exact same as, record as we do. We'll finish. Yeah, we'll we'll f- finish two and four. Two and four. Exactly. <laughs> it's what my guess uh, would be. Okay. Do we need to go to questions now? Do we have anything else? Yeah. Now that we've hit the three hour mark, let's do it. Let's. Uh, where are we? Uh, we're hour nineteen. Yeah, we're fine. We're good. Yeah, we're great. You want me to go first or? Uh, what was it, Paul? Yeah, Coach of the Year. Hey, champions. I've been listening to you since week five and look forward to seeing your show pop up every Monday. Sorry, this is late Tuesday. I actually tend to prioritize it over my Ducks podcast and my National College Football podcast. I'm wondering 
Who you guys think should be coach of the year in the Pac-12? Obviously, Utah and Oregon have great coaches, but Jonathan, Jonathan Smith has really worked some magic this year. Leach should probably get an honorable mention purely for his ridiculous sound bites and press conferences. Also, y'all had a great summary of Moana, Keep the Meow, Huck the Fuskies, and Go Ducks, Paul, a.k.a. Totally Not Hithliday. I think it's Jonathan Smith, and without much question about it. I mean, you could, I could go Kyle Whittingham too, but like, I'm not, I'm not going Cristobal. Um, no, 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 not Cristobal. Um, he's he's screwed up too many games. Um, yeah, and uh, you can make an argument that they lost to Auburn because of some coaching problems. Um, no, I, I think it's I think it's Jonathan Smith. I mean, Utah Kyle Whittingham for sure is an argument. If you're just going to pick the coach of the best team, then sure. Um, but, uh, I don't think they're playing so far above expectations. I think the, the, the coach who has surpassed expectations is Jonathan Smith yeah. at a huge level. Um, they to win are, four conference games is pretty, yeah. yeah. I mean, and they're what, um, seven points away from being eight and three right now. Um, that's basically what it is. So I think they're in, uh, in the driver's seat in that coach of the year conversation. Yeah. I think I would agree with you. So look at the, look at the standings. So right now, Oregon State has won more conference games than everyone. The only people that have won more conference games than Oregon State are USC, Utah, and Oregon. Like, there's only three teams that have won more conference games. Oh, wait, you just mentioned another contender for Coach of the Year. Uh, Clay Clay Helton. Getting that team, that collection of parts with all those injuries they suffered, they were down to their fifth string running back, Ryan. I know. And their second string, and then their third, with their third string quarterback, he was able to coach them to a win <laughs> over a now top 10 team. That's true. Could you please put some respect on his name? Yeah, no, I think he's he's a dark horse for the coach of. I think the, he uh, should be. Yes. I, I agree with David's glorious beard. Yes. Um, all right. <laughs> this is uh, Drew uh, Mike Leach. Is Coach Leach secretly one of the best coaches in America? He has consistently taken two-star and three-star players and beaten four, five, four and five-star players and has done it at two schools in Texas Tech and Washington State that are not traditional powers and not in good recruiting areas. Not only has he done far better than the mean for those schools, he has had both of them in the national title discussion late in seasons. How many coaches, period, can do that? Yeah, he's weird and unique, but is he de- down-low elite? What could he do with four-star and five-star talent? Yeah, no, I I don't think either of us would dispute this. Um, he's very clearly, I think, one of the elite coaches in the country. And yeah. um, I would love at some point here in the next couple of years to see him. I mean, and I don't mean that, like, I'm not, like, trying to sh- throw shade at Washington State fans. I'm just talking about as, like, a college football, like, a person interested in college football. I would love to see what his system, because he's running a different air, he's running a pure air raid. I would love to see what that looks like, him running it at, something like a Florida state or just one of those powers where you can just walk up and get supreme receiver talent and great quarterback talent and just see what happens. Yeah. I think you got to be careful though, because what did we say this about chip? Well, I mean, chip Kelly was at Oregon, but like, Hey, what is he going to do at UCLA with all this talent? And like, it doesn't necessarily always translate. Well, so how's Mike Leach doing running that pro style scheme up at Washington state? (laughs) No, I mean, he can make – I mean, he's really good at making more with less. 
but you don't know. Like you could throw him into a into a Florida State situation with all these riches, and it might not be as. I mean, I don't think you know for sure that's going to be as. You good. don't know, and I I do think his is much more. Um, it's a system in a way that I, I think you plug in a slightly faster guy. I think it helps the system, but the system is what's doing it. Yeah. Um, but if you plug in better guys at every single position in that system and you can get the same buy-in, and that's probably the question is whether you can get that same level of buy-in from yeah. guys who are a higher caliber guys. Can you deal with those egos? You can't say the same crap about them in the press that you can say about your Washington State players probably. Um, but I'd be interested to see the experiment, and I don't think he would start running some – you know mediocre pro style offense at Florida state. I think he would probably stick with the thing that has actually made him an elite coach. Um, unlike, you know, another coach who I could think of who, right. you know, decided that the, the thing that actually differentiated him in college football is actually way too gauche to run. And, uh, at, at, yeah, wait, yeah, he just, he's not, he, he can't, he can't bring himself to do that at a UCLA or in the NFL at any level. No, yeah. it's like, what I don't, I would want to be a, member of a club that would have me as a member exactly. kind of thing. It's like, no. Yeah. I mean, and you could look at like North Texas looked good last year with Graham yeah. Harrell. I mean, when they look good, I mean, four wide receivers going for over a hundred yards, like yeah, that's taking a lot of talent and putting it in a good position to win. So I think there's some good arguments. You don't know what it's going to be, you know, if some of the defensive deficiencies are going to be magnified at a place like Florida State when you play the, I don't know I mean it's hard Alex, to say Alex Grinch was able to run a top 25 defense at Washington State it's a coordinator situation and if a coordinator can have that impact well what does four and five star talent do yeah Um. so I don't know I'd be really interested to see it I'd be really interested to see it if you just took his entire Washington State offense including players put them on another team but one that had an elite defense yeah what does that look like yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that one. Um, I'm curious to see. We might see. I mean, he almost went to Tennessee. Uh, the coaching carousel is going to get cranked up here, so we might see some Mike Leach talk. We got a Paul wrote in about podcast length. Every time you record less than two hours, you force me to sit around and do nothing for 38 hours at work. <laughs> Please record 40-hour podcast. This could include more Disney movie summary slash theme songs by Dave or preferably Ryan. I We could, you know... Um, I'm I'm a Disney Plus guy now. I've watched all three episodes of The Mandalorian. I'm I have in. too. I I like it. I like it a lot. It's uh for it's like, I mean, even bad pizza is pretty good. Like anything Star Wars, I'm gonna like. Like I just I just like yeah, Star Wars I, stuff. I'm pretty much in the bag for Star Wars too. Um, except for Force Awakens, which was god awful <laughs> trash. Um, but Mandalorian, I mean, it's it's different. It it kind of explores something that I was, um interested in which is different thematics within the star wars universe because okay. the idea is it's a big universe right you could do any type of story you want in there and they're doing a western which yeah. is cool like and it's it's very much a western like it's got a lot of the the theme of, of a western it's even got them like having a hidden face which is just very like the metaphor behind a lot of westerns but i really like that what i really want to see is a darth vader horror movie Oh, I like that. So the end of Rogue One got me thinking about it because that's like the coolest you'll ever see a Darth Vader scene where he um, basically like tears into the uh, rebel ship and just like basically murders everybody in it. And it's shot like a horror movie. And then I was thinking like, 
what if somebody pitched a horror movie to Disney where it's like Darth Vader like hunting down some Jedi in like some you know dark Jedi temple or something? That could be great. Mm. It could be so good. That's what I want to see. Explore the universe. You know, really get like out there. It sounds like they're going to do there. stuff though, right? They're going to do like this is. A I don't. Neat- know. I don't know. I mean, this is this is really good. I like this, um, but it's very much like they're trying to keep things. I think in the PG to PG thirteen realm, um, and but this I, definitely fits that niche. I like the actor. He was in um, the uh, what was the it was the Netflix. Uh, oh God, I forget what it was called. The the drug stuff, the drug cartel stuff in uh, Narcos. Narcos, yeah, he's a Narcos yeah. guy. Uh, I liked him in that, so it's pretty. I good. mean, all we're hearing is his voice right now, but right. Yeah. Well, I don't think we'll ever see it, right? Because he's not yeah. supposed to take off. His, what, I don't know. What, what are happens. your What are your feelings on Baby Yoda? Yeah, so it's like it looks like a Baby Yoda. I thought this was after the Star Wars, and it's like a new Yoda, but maybe it's before. No, no, I mean is, it's it's a new Yoda. It's, it's new, not. This isn't the actual. Like, no, no. This is a different Yoda. It's just a different member of that species. Okay. I was wondering if it was like a. This is Yoda's, maybe it's Yoda's baby though. Like Yoda's. Um, do you think? Not, do, you think is, do you think Yoda got down? Or this is Yoda's origin story? It's not. It's not. This is post. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I I haven't researched anything. I'm no, no. This is like uh, supposed to be. I think five years after Return of the Jedi. Okay. So yeah. some of the times it's like. People like research all this stuff. I'm like, you idiot. You don't know that. I'm like, no, dude, I'm just watching the, the show. I don't know. Yeah. And like Yoda um, was like 900 years old too. Right. So this would be um, like pretty deep in the past. No, it was, it was when, when he like did the stuff and he stopped the, the big yeah. rhino thing, I was like, that's kind of cool. Like that's yeah. good Yoda stuff. Yeah. Cute, cute, cute little baby Yoda. He's a cute little baby Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like the, I, I like, you know, carnage to save like the, the, the swaddling babe like those are always fun like i'm gonna yeah, go kill no, a whole bunch of people to save this one babe it feels like it feels like <laughs> I, I don't know if i've seen that western but it feels like a western you would have seen yeah like oh there's someone's got a baby and they're you know yeah they're gonna torture the baby or kill the baby or right something. The, the, so i'm gonna go kill a whole bunch of people to make sure that that doesn't happen right the the vicious old you know irredeemable gunslinger who has to you know like the lone gunslinger and then all of his his uh compadres come save him when it, when he's, yeah. he's down in the dumps the most that was know? all very weird yeah yeah i but liked it it was good yeah, yeah. so i definitely check it out uh i think okay that was me do you want me to do another one or you want to do this one i'll do this one okay uh mic check this is from evan hey guys please fix your audio on the last two podcasts someone's mic is picking up a weird sound that i can only describe as someone rubbing two coins together or maybe a noisy pen scratching some paper right next to the microphone mm. anyway now that I've gotten that out of the way, I have a few football-related fill-in-the-blank questions. First, the person who is responsible for the audio snafu is named blank, but he promises to fix it for the next podcast. That's it. Thanks for the entertaining pod, Evan. <laughs> um, Evan, it was me. Um, and the reason was I used uh, my home computer with absolutely no audio setup besides me yelling into my computer um, with a pair of shitty uh, Apple uh, earbuds in. So that's why you got the that choice solid gold sound. But most of the time I'll be using my real setup, so it'll only be half bad. All right. Uh, sorry about that, Evan. Uh, let's see. We're Hopefully it's good now because we're in studio. And it, also, I, Evan, I want to be clear. <clears throat> I don't care. <laughs> this is free. Um, this is, okay, so this is uh, Mariah. Uh, in parentheses, the, and then big game. Gentle folk. Uh, with the annual often irrelevant clash of Bay Area rivals in the books by the time of this podcast, I wanted to lend a little uh, scattershot historical perspective to your article 
debate. Attached, you will find a few sample images from programs and promo posters for, and again, parentheses, the big game through the years. As you can see from these examples, the controversial article has waxed and waned through time. Like so many hot-button debates of today, this appears not to be a black and white issue. Actually, I think, and even like Cal like tweeted out like the big game, and then people like would tag us like, you know, podcast of champions. Talk about this. Um, yeah, it's people who prefer definite articles to describe these uh, proper names and other people who just choose not to. I, I just try to respect their wishes. Uh, in the interest of putting this uh, thing to bed, might I suggest that we all just say what we want, how we want. Ryan can do Ryan and David can do the David. Most importantly, by agreeing to disagree, we can free up all the hardliners on both sides to do something more constructive with their time. Like trying to figure out why Oski's ears resemble a souffle that has collapsed in the middle. <laughs> Thank you, boys, for all that you do. Uh, Tor. Uh, maybe it's a different than the name uh, in the email. So there is a program cover. These are nice covers, by the way, from 1982. Cost two bucks. Uh, Stanford Cardinal. It says The Big Game. Uh, this one is from 1952. Uh, and it just says big game. So old one, uh, the big game from a 1963 one, uh, big game for a 1958 one, uh, big game for 1954 one, the big game for 2004 one, uh, 1938, the big game and, uh, 1989 big game. So yeah, they're, they're all over the place too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, seems like the earliest one was those are pretty neat covers like some like especially in the 50s ones there are some kind of neat. yeah things. these are actually really neat like that i mean like i don't think nice... this would work the uh the 1958 one where like you have this like cartoonish indian with a axe behind his back uh with a peace pipe and a, a bear and a you know letterman sweater with a club with spikes on it like i don't <laughs> think that would be too politically correct. No, me. no, I don't think that would win over too many new fans. PETA would get mad. Yeah. There'd be a lot of people getting mad at that one. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Nice. All right, you ready for this one from our friend Devin? Oh, yeah, this is a long one. Yeah, I get this one. Great. Great. I love reading. I had lots of pictures in mind. Yeah, you really did. <laughs> I did have to it find kind, the dates. It kind, really kind of fits your reading tendencies. <laughs> That's true, yeah. yeah. Uh, some questions and observations. <laughs> Uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Before I jump in, I just need to say I am a Utes fan, and therefore my questions and comments will be slightly biased. I have an observation and a couple questions. First, it seems like in years past, the Pac-12 was criticized for not having any elite teams, but having a lot of average to above average teams. This year, the Pac-12 has two obviously elite teams in Utah and Oregon. Um, I'm going to personally insert fart noise after Oregon there. Um, don't think you're obviously elite anymore. Probably not. Probably no. not. Do I have a fart? I don't think I have a fart noise. Sorry. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, what do I have? That was just me. I made a fart noise. I have this. Wait. Yeah. That's not good enough. Good. No. Is that good? Yeah. I like Did it. Did that come through for you? It, I, I heard it loud cool. and clear. Yeah. All right. Great. Uh, but now the criticism is there is there is no depth behind those two. I guess the pack can never win with the national media. Hithliday is steaming right now <laughs> with all the Oregon crap we've talked. Um, anyway. Uh, now a couple questions. Uh, one, if you had to guess, how many four- and five-star recruits would you think Utah has on the roster? He gives us the answer in the next line. you got to give us some space if you want us to actually guess. I'm not looking at it, so 
I'm not looking at his question, so Probably I don't know. You guess. So four and five star guys on the roster. Yeah. Uh, I'll go seven. Eight. Pretty close. Yeah, not bad. All right. Uh, the answer is eight. Wouldn't you expect that to be higher? No. That's why I guess seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would not expect it to be higher. I would. Th- I think you get like a couple of class, and there's a lot of high ranked three star yeah. guys that he develops and turns into five star kind of. No, like that's it. yeah, that's the thing with Utah. Yeah, they're not doing it with just overwhelming talent. Um, I was blown away by this. To give some context, here are the number of four five stars recruit four five star recruits of the teams in the CFB top ten per twenty four seven Sports. LSU 51, Ohio State 60, Clemson 40, Georgia 59, Alabama 69, Oregon 32, Utah 8, Penn State 50, Oklahoma 50, and Minnesota 5. Uh, I don't think Kyle Whittingham gets enough credit for what he and his staff do with player development. Can you imagine what he could do if he had 54 and 5-star recruits? He gets plenty of credit. That's what we, that's, that's what we that's, do that's all what the he time. Does. Yeah, like, no, yeah. that's why he's talked about as one of the top coaches in the league. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, if you got him a bunch of talent, maybe he'd be even better. But I, I don't know. Some of these guys, they the system that they do works. Yeah. And it wouldn't work any really differently if they had more talent. Um, it might even work worse like, because guys aren't, you know, again, as committed to redshirting and developing and the whole deal that goes in with uh, his program there. I think, uh, like... Chris Peterson outside of this year, you've kind of seen that where even when he got there, it's still recruiting like the OKGs, the R kind of guys. But now you're seeing more four and five star dudes on his roster. Now the results haven't been good this year, but outside of this year, we could say, say this is an anomaly. That's a team that got better and they replaced a lot of dudes that would go to the NFL. So I think you could see that Chris Peterson moving from a Boise state to Washington where you can get, you know, access to more fertile recruiting grounds and, and more, you know, you're in the PAC 12 and say Utah wins the the conference, you know maybe they make the playoff. You're, you're gonna get more four and five star guys. You're gonna get more of them this year. And then, but that's also a different deal. They're not always the chip on the shoulder guys, whereas you're used to those. Like now they're like the prima donna guys, and you can get a roster full of those, and it can be you know that's its own set of problems. So right, you want to be, um, I mean you got to be able to coach the the hardworking you know gritty guys but you also have to be able to coach the prima donna guys too if you're going to start recruiting them right which is a different skill i think true all right two in last week's show you were talking about mel tucker and the staff he brought in with him and the potential coaching vacancy at usc which got me thinking about assistant coaches which current assistant coach in the pac-12 do you think will be the most sought after for head coaching positions as a utah fan i'm worried we'll lose morgan scally utah's dc this offseason thanks guys and go utes I think you could go Scally. You could go like, uh, you know, Tim DeRitter didn't have a great run. I mean, he had some good years at, but like, you know, he's mostly thought of as an elite defensive coordinator. Um, Jimmy Lake at Washington. Uh, Andy Avalos, the defensive coordinator for Oregon. Yeah. I think he'll probably need another year up there of seasoning. I think, you know, if uh, Graham Harrell's done a really good job. Like you, he's kind of proven his concept at a bigger school. Like someone might want to, you know, take a shot on him, but he, he's still young. Jerry Azanaro, uh, UCLA's defensive coordinator. Yeah. He's uh he limited USC to like under 700 yards. Right. So it was... there were like two or three drives that failed for USC. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's some, some candidates there, but yeah, agreed. Uh, okay. Let's see. Was uh, is that, that it? Yeah. Uh, thanks, guys, and go Utes. Nice. All right. Uh, let's see. We had a text message. 
Long-time listener, first-time texter. First off, y'all do a great job. Uh, but with that said, what does Tyler Huntley need to do to get on Heisman watch? Uh, play for a team that passes the ball a lot more. Yeah. I mean, he's super efficient. Um, I think, did he throw his like second pick of the year or something in the last game? Like, it's not like he's had a lot. I think they keep winning. You know, they they beat the crap out of Colorado and then they're in the playoff talk again. Like if they, you know, say they jump Alabama, I think he's going to be talked about more. Um, it's sort of like there's not like this huge win on the schedule. Like if they had beaten USC, I think he'd have a, a better shot. But he, I, I think they're going to talk about him just because when you're the quarterback on a really good team, you're going to get talked about. And he's, you know, he's got the numbers. He's a super efficient quarterback. He, he doesn't have the numbers. Like the as thing far is as like efficiency no, 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 and stuff I, like that, but not like look, a bunch. And this is no offense, Ryan. Yeah. A bunch of idiots vote for the Heisman. They're going to count the number of damn touchdowns the guy throws and he's thrown 14. And that's going to tell the tale because. Oh, it's only 14? Yeah. There are dudes who are throwing 30 yeah. plus. And it's Anthony just, Gordon's throwing 45. So. Right. It's just th- there's no way. There's no way. His I didn't realize he only had 14. His efficiency stats are really good. Yes. And it, by any reasonable definition, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But the very offense he's in is going to prevent his ability to ever win a Heisman. How many does he run for? Um, yeah, that's not an... Sorry, that's... Uh, I didn't realize... His, he's he's I, run for five touchdowns. Okay. Um, but again, it's not a volume thing. He's only had 228 yards. Um, if he, he if did, there's a Heisman candidate on the team, it's Zach Moss. Yeah, I just assumed he was in the 20s in touchdowns. I didn't even realize it was only 14. That's not that. I'm sorry, that is not good enough. Yeah, so Zach Moss through 10 games has 180 attempts for um, 1,158 yards and 14 touchdowns, six and a half yards per carry, um, and also has 15 yards per catch on 21 catches for a touchdown. He's the best candidate. Though. Yeah, so if he can do it, if he can have a really big game against Colorado, then. I could you could talk me into that one where he gets like fourteen hundred ish yards, um, which is still you know you'd have to get two hundred and fifty or so in that game, but right. um, if he could do that, that would be big. Yeah, I mean it's I mean he is I mean he's a great quarterback. He's probably the best quarterback in the Pac twelve right now, but those aren't the kind of numbers that's going to get you. Yeah, there's just no way Heisman consideration. Yeah. All right, this is uh, Justin Helton Stang. Hi guys, love the show. Was it just me or were the announcers for the Fuckla? Uh, I think he uh, he must have had a typo, keyboard issue. Typo, yeah. Uh, SC game, clearly prepped to let the fan base know that Helton was likely going to get another year. It started roughly mid-third quarter, and they just wouldn't stop with it. Interested to hear your thoughts, aside from the obvious trolling opportunity for Dave. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. I didn't See, I didn't get to rewatch the full broadcast yet. I, I hope I got to tape the... Uh, the 60-minute the one. Hopefully, I still have a chance to do that. I think that They probably... were not only carrying water for him on the broadcast, but like continued to do so after um, after the game. What, what, what's the... Molly sentiment? McGrath. Molly McGrath. She, she tweeted that out and got roasted. By she US got people. ratioed so <laughs> hard. <laughs> that was the best part of quote tweeting that one, is that it was already so ratioed that I knew I was like getting into prime trolling territory. <laughs> It was so good. Uh, but no, I mean, they were continuing it to the point where I have to think it was either his people kind of standing for him or maybe Bone just trying know. to pre- prepare people for the idea that this might be happening. Like Kirk Herbstreet had been 
going to bat for him for a while. And sometimes people ask us this on the podcast. So sometimes for like, is someone going to go to bat for Chip Kelly unless they're like close friends of Chip Kelly? Probably not. He's just not like that. But if you're a friend of Chip, like he's going to have friends in the media. If you have a buddy. Yeah. And Clay Elton's a very nice guy. When when you come to campus, and you remember the, the cupcake incident with Washington, mm-hmm. what happened with that? Well, Chris Peterson wasn't letting those TV people into their, their regular Friday production meetings that they would have to meet with him. He didn't want to do that stuff. And so are you going to get treated well by the broadcast team? Like, Or if you're Clay Helton and you welcome everybody in, you give them all kinds of access and stuff, they're going to tre- – they like, I like this guy. He When we go to USC, he treats us well. Does that give you as a broadcaster like, oh, I'm going to say nice things about him because he's nice when we're here, as opposed to do you really think he's the, the right coach for the job or when you he makes it easier for you to do your job? So I think some of that might be going on too. Yeah, which is, I mean. It's human nature, I guess, but yeah. Obviously ridiculous and unprofessional, but <laughs> hey, whatever. That's the industry we work in. It is. Uh, this one's me, right? The worst thing you can do in this job is be intellectually dishonest. Like, it's the worst possible thing. You can be bad at your job. You can be bad at analyzing things, but saying something you don't believe or saying something you don't mean is the actual worst thing you can do. I think in, like, um, was it Molly? Is that, was that Molly McGrath? Yeah. Is that, you know, I think that was just her being, like, he was really nice to me. Why shouldn't he keep his job? Not, not, I don't, I just don't think she came from a point of, like, she's analyzed the situation and she sees, like, you know, just looking at the numbers, I think he should, you know, I just felt like there was just I'm going to say something nice about the nice guy that was nice. No, to I, I I give her more credit than that. I mean, she's been around it for a while. No, I think it's for all of them. I think it's uh, oh yeah, they're nice to me, and I think it's the same for a lot of access journalists. Like if your if your game is being able to talk to these people and being able to get their inside scoop on whatever's going on, and for those broadcast journalists, a lot of it is like yeah. they need to be able to talk to these people off the record. Um then yeah, you're going to be saying things that oftentimes you wouldn't believe and you wouldn't rationalize a certain way. Um, but you're saying it because you know where your bread is buttered. Right. So like if Rick Neuheisel was going to like have you over for beers when he was the head coach and kind of like, you know, share some information with you, you probably wouldn't have been as, uh, well, no, I'll give you an honest one because Jim (laughs) Mora was really friendly with us. Yeah. Like really friendly with us for the entire time he was there. Um, but I don't know. When did I start derping on him? Like, <laughs> it was probably towards the end of 2015. Uh, yeah. And maybe I'm not quite as, like, vocally snarky. But it's still, like, you just can't sit there, like, saying things you don't believe. No. And, I, I mean, people ask me all the time. Like, they don't understand. They're like, why do you Unless hate- you're trolling. Sorry. I, I, I've got to be clear because I'm Trolling's arguing. fine. No, yeah. trolling. Like, I'm obvious trolling, which I think is is covered under um, intellectual honesty because you and I, nobody knows, everybody knows I don't think Clay Hilton's doing a good job. Right. We all know that. Well, people ask me, like they'll tweet at me like, do you hate Clay Hilton? And I'm like, it's the exact opposite. Like, I like him a lot. Like, he's always been nice to me. He's, you know, I've tried to always be fair and honest with him. Uh, the whole time, the whole time, but I'm not going to say something that I don't believe just because I like him. It's like, just, I like him as a person. I'm not worried about his life. He's going to, you know, when he gets, if he gets fired, he's going to be given a check by USC for more money than I would ever see in my lifetime. And he'll be fine, you know, and he'll get a job somewhere else. No, it's why it's part of why these guys get paid so much money. Like you're going to get 
that criticism. Yeah. Like you're from go- people and- you talk to every day and like answer questions for like, you know, and I'm going to write a story. This is why he shouldn't be the head coach anymore. And he's still going to be nice to me. And I, but I, I can't lie and say, no, he's the right guy for the job. Like I yeah. can't do that. No, it's a, it's a, you're a public figure. And part of it is part of the game is whether or not you should keep your job. Like yeah. that's part of the, that's part of the business is, you get changed out when the team no longer wins. So it's part of the conversation. Yeah. If you wanted to like fire me from my Meals on Wheels volunteer thing, like you suck at delivering meals to old people. It's like, okay, fine. I can just walk away. Like I'm not making, but if I was getting paid like $10 million, you should be critical of me. Like if I'm yeah. not doing a good job. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of people invested in whether or not he's doing a good job. Yeah. There's a whole cottage industry built around whether or not he's doing a good job. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway. All right. My soapbox. This is this is probably along the same lines. Job security. Uh, this one's from Ryan, a Washington fan here. Oregon losing cracked me up. They always seemed uh, gilded, but I suppose those dumbass mallards can dream too. Uh, the Washington game was on too late, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> Got a healthy, hearty chuckle out of that when I checked the score. My pups have been trending down, and even worse. They've been a very boring team to watch since John Ross left. If Peterson was at Auburn, would he be fired? Mm-hmm. It's funny. We we kind of thought they were Jake Browning boring, but maybe it's no John Ross boring. Maybe that's true. Uh, we, we we already did our digression about the Washington offense, so I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. But damn, it's been boring as hell since John Ross left. It's been boring, yeah. Uh, also, if you were the fun police and could hire all the coaches from our conference purely out for entertainment value, who would you choose for which school? I'd love to see Coach O at Stanford. Ryan from Chicago uh, sent from his iPhone. Jeez, I don't think we have time to go through like what. Is there, no, pick, not... pick one. that like So someone you'd like, Coach O at Stanford. Lane Kiffin at USC. Kevin at USC, New Heisel back at UCLA for sure. Um, uh, uh, Just putting all of these guys back at their respective schools. We would like. What if we put like Mike Leach at Utah, like somewhere? Like it'd be kind of fun. No, Mike Leach at like Cal. Oh, like, like yes. just something that like feels like just the exact wrong culture fit. I like that. Um, I don't know. Or like a David Shaw at like a USC or something where like I don't think that'd be that funny. No. I think he'd be fine. Okay. Uh thanks, Ryan. If we think of anything else, we'll uh come up with a good one. Oh, he had a typo in there, but I guess oh, I read well, with, I don't know sorry. what the typo was. I must have just read over it. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> um all right, this is a text message. Hey guys, just watched the Beeves lose an absolute heartbreaker. At first I was really mad, but then I looked back at everyone's projection for the Beeves this year and just smiled. Beeves are on their way back. So for my question, why not Smith for Pac twelve coach of the year? I believe he should be in the conversation. Yeah. We talked Agreed. about yeah, I think we, he's the number one. We talked about that, you know, the conference wins and all that stuff. Um yeah, way, you know, well above uh, expectations. So I think that's one of the things that we've seen this year. We'll go back and look at our picks um, preseason, and I don't think there's a lot of good ones. There's some good calls, but, um, you know, Stanford being down, Dave called that one. I mean, I, I felt Utah was going to be really good and picked them to win a lot of games, but I also thought Washington was going to be really good, and they they were not. Um, but there's been a lot of – this was parody, like a lot of parody. A lot of, like, from four, three or four to 12 is like yeah. – 
th- those people have like switched positions a lot. So it's true. Kind of crazy. Uh, this is new weekly POC listener participant. Oh boy. What is this? This oh. is long. Oh man. And it, there's, there's audio. Yeah. Do I have to download this? Okay. I'm going to download it as we're speaking. Here, uh, I'll read. I'll read. You okay. Download. Okay. All right. Uh, dumb, dumber and dumbest. Uh, this is from SLTDMD. Um, Hey, Ryan and Dave, it's Dave's boy from the bro board, SLTDMD. I have the brand new weekly segment that you guys can do on the POC. It's called Dumb, Dumber, and Dumbest. The way the segment works is that each week the listeners send in to the Pac-12podcast at gmail.com their nominations for Dumb, the stupidest thing done by a player in the Pac-12 that week, Dumber, the stupidest thing done by a coach in the Pac-12 that week, and Dumbest, the worst call by a Pac-12 referee that week. This can also, be, this can also include stupid comments by our commish, Champagne Larry. During this segment of the show, you, Ryan, and Dave read all of the nominations on the air for each of the three categories. Then together you choose three winners, one for each category, from all the submissions for each of the categories. It would be fun if the winner had to be a unanimous decision because then there's nothing better than hearing you two argue with each other. Ryan usually wins. Wow. The host who can convince He's a bro the, guy taking shots. Yeah, <laughs> damn. Uh, the host who can convince the other host that his choice is right wins. If a winner wants it, most probably won't. Either Dave or Ryan can record the voicemail message for the listener's cell phone. Here's an example. Hi, this is David David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. John Doe isn't here right now, but if you would leave a message, he promises to call you back right away. Go Bruins. I've included a WAV file for you to use as an intro drop. I'm looking forward to hearing weekly POC listener submissions for each of the three categories and hearing Dumb, Dumber, and Dumbest as a regular part of the POC. Go Bruins. Hashtag keep Clay Helton forever. Uh, P.S. I think you should keep both drops for Wazoo. Whenever you are going to be discussing a Cougar win or anything positive, use the Growl drop. Whenever you're going to be talking about Wazoo cooging it, use the Kitty drop. Simple solution. You're welcome. P.S.S. And it's P.P.S. Uh, in case any listeners do not know, the drop is from the movie Dumb and Dumber when the two guys are walking on a deserted road and a bus with Hawaiian tropic signs all over it pulls over in front of them. The bus is filled with 50 of the most beautiful, young, bikini-clad women you have ever seen. When three hot girls get off of the bus to talk to them, you can hear their conversation in the drop. Um, he said, hashtag keep Clay Helton forever. Uh, this is, seems like a great suggestion for the beginning of the season and not the end. I agree. I concur. <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not going to say it's a great suggestion because it's a lot of work. First of all, we have to rely on listener work, which doesn't work. Then we have to remember to do it, and we have to compile things. And there, there's like work. There's a lot of work involved. This seems you, like something we would outsource, like we did the uh, the survivor, which pool. worked well. Yeah, but this is a lot of work, and this is the the last regular season game of the year. If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> right? So like, you are not mistaken, sir. Okay, I just want to keep. We're going to stick a pin in this uh, for next year, but remind us in July. Yeah, we definitely won't remember. Uh, let me. I'll play whatever he sent. Hopefully, it's good. Dumb, dumber, dumbest. When are we ever going to catch a break? Hi, y'all. Hey, guys. We're going on a national bikini tour, and we're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You are in luck. There's a town about three miles that way. I'm sure you'll find a couple guys there. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hey, doll. Wow. Two lucky guys are going to be driving around with those girls for the next couple of months. Yeah. 
don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just dumb, dumber, dumbest. Pretty good. <laughs> why are we? Why was I playing that at like nine or nine p.m. on a? I don't know. Tuesday. I that know. was such a long drop. <laughs> That's, yeah. Definition of drop is not like that. No. Can we just? reverse that whole call like just just go back in time no we can't no we don't ever change anything we just go forward it doesn't matter how <laughs> we bad. are we were we are forward directed individuals yes. we proceed so that th- is our motto here on the podcast of champions your, we proceed yeah your suggestion to do something on the last week of the regular season that you need to do after every game is like the third worst part of that <laughs> <laughs> But I did love your anti-Dave statement, you know, sentiment from... That was a redeeming factor for yes, sure. Yes, that's good. Uh, I love it when the bro people like me more than you for some reason. Like, yeah. That, like, that's, that's gotta I, be... I don't think it's a rare sentiment. <laughs> All right, this is Pac-12 Refs. Uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. This is your loyal listener in Arkansas, Joshua. During the USC-UCLA game, the field mic picked up a ref repeatedly yelling, hey, 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 we're done here. Anytime there was a gang tackle situation, I often heard him yelling... Before I heard a whistle, is this a hashtag Pac-12 refs thing? If you are a coach in the Pac-12, do you tell your players to play to the whistle or the, hey, 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 we're done here? When does the ref throw a flag for a late hit? After the third hey or after he finishes his sentence? Uh, this just seems like the dumbest thing uh, ever to do. Refs have a whistle and and then a backup whistle, on the other hand, for some for a reason. Whistles are easier to hear than some old man yelling at teenagers to stop. By the way, keep Helton and make him hire some stats guys to help with special teams decisions and clock management and hire some recruiters. Seriously, he seems like a great man. The players play hard for him. And it would be a shame to decide integrity is worthless and hire a used car salesman who is more flashy in his place. Helton seems like he could be really good if he gets better support staff around him. Just look at the offense this year versus last year. Do that with everything else. That's from... uh, Joshua. A beautiful troll is something that is indiscernible, indistinguishable from an actual honest take. Do you feel that's an honest take or a troll? See, that's the hard thing to to understand, right? Yes. It's tough to know because is that a justifiable take? I think it's a, I think that's a real take though. I think it is. Yeah. But it could just as easily be me trolling on Twitter. Right. But it's sort of like, well, they fixed the offense this year. They did. Why can't they fix the defense next year? Or why couldn't they have done all of this two, three years ago? We can't go back in time. Oh, yeah. Just because what is our motto here on the Podcast of Champions? Incremental changes. Here. We proceed. We just proceed. We all just right. proceed. Um, what's dumb, the other stuff? Dumber, <laughs> I think we have to keep that. I think we have to keep the dumb, dumber, dumbest. I'll, I'll have to cut. That's work now. I got to cut it. Okay. Um, um, the other thing was, I thought it was just like somebody had a mic on. Um, so you picked up more. There's a lot of talking that happens on the field, but I think the refs are often doing that stuff. I didn't notice it was happening before the whistle, but maybe if it was, that's probably not a good, I don't think it was, but maybe it was. That's what Joshua was saying. I did notice it, but I thought it was just somebody had a live mic on. Um, all right. This is from, this is James from phoenix uh hey ryan and dave it's james from phoenix i've been meaning to write into this show all year but i've always been too lazy i figured after my sun devils beat up herbert and the ducks this weekend i would probably say something 
I want to know your thoughts on the trajectory of ASU football. As you know, Jaden Jesus Daniels is the real deal, and I think he thoroughly outplayed the top 10 pick, Herbert, this weekend. Lucky for us, it was on national TV for the whole country to see as JD announced himself on a national stage. As you also probably know, and Herm makes it a point after every game, ASU has played something like 28 freshmen this year. Do you think ASU, with Jesus Daniels at the helm for at least two more years, will be able to make a run at the Rose Bowl? Also, Dave, I was absolutely horrified at Herm punting from the Oregon 35 when we were already on our heels in the fourth. Oh, well, it worked out, and Herm we trust, I guess. Yeah, I didn't hammer that hard enough. Um, oh, my God. That that almost that almost flipped me into, like, full insane person mode. Did you do a shot at the bar you were at when you saw that? I was I was in the comfort of a friend's home, and oh, okay. I was I was... I was livid. I was livid at that because that was so what I was talking about. You thought they should about. have punted. You thought that should have punted is what you're saying. <laughs> from the 35. Yes, always punt <laughs> from the 35. Um yeah, no, it was that was an egregious decision. But um to your larger point, um yeah. I mean, I, I think ASU has a chance because Utah will take a step back next year with Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss being gone. Um USC a lot still remains to be seen. I think if Helton returns, they're going to be really good um, because he's obviously a great coach. Um, but if he doesn't, if they hire some joker like Urban Meyer, it could be a rebuild. Um, I don't know who else is going to be good, though. Um, I would think ASU has a good chance to be in the mix next year. Yeah, I mean, I agree. But do you know what ASU's uh, regular season record was two years ago? What was it? It was a 7-5. and five. Okay. You know what it was last year? What was it? Seven and five. Do you know what it is this year? Six and five. It's six and five. Uh, with a four-game losing streak in there. So I'm not ready to say Jesus Daniels and Rose Bowl. Like, I think Herm is better than what we thought. There were some ups and downs in this season. They play a lot of young guys, but everybody's playing a lot of young guys now, especially with guys transferring. Like, seniors are transferring out everywhere. Everyone's playing young dudes. Um I like what I'm seeing from ASU. I think there's the potential, but I was hoping for a little bit of a step. This is this is a kind of sidestep this season, I would say. Now, yeah, you lost Nikhil Harry, uh, Manny Wilkins, all those guys. Jane Daniels, the best recruit they've ever had coming in, is has been amazing. I think there's some potential there, but you know, it's been pretty consistent over the last three years. So I'm not gonna go out on a limb and say, Oh yeah, now next year they're gonna be ten and two or something. Yeah, um, Jaden Daniels is so 9.9 adjusted yards per attempt, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions this year. Two. Two by a true freshman. Two two interceptions. Not 12, not four, two. USC quarterbacks have had like three different games with more than that. Yeah. Um, games. Like. He, he's, he's a special player. Yeah. But, so. you know, as a team, or you, you, you could have a great quarterback. I, I mean, I'm just. I think they're going to be better. Like, do well, you think they win nine games next year? Do you think they win eight? I, like, I mean, I, I don't love to use it as an example um, because obviously we're talking about a much better coach in that situation. Um, but Sam Darnold, yes, true. Um, I mean, obviously working with a Hall of Famer at head coach, but still, that's a freshman quarterback, a young quarterback leading a team. You know, not single handedly, obviously, because he had his great head coach, right? But. Um, you know, that's a situation where uh, if you have supreme talent at quarterback, which could be the case here. And I mean, I think he's really good as a true freshman. I think he's going to be even better as a sophomore and a junior. 
um, that can that that's enough in college football. Like you can get yeah. there, especially if he's a if he's got a, the ability to make plays with his legs, which he does on top of everything else. Like that almost single handedly makes your offense good. Um, and then it's just a matter of you know working out the right level of defensive experience one year to get a top forty defense, and then that's enough to compete. Yeah. Um, and potentially win the South. No, I think that I'm. I think they can. I'm just. I'm just not sure they will. I'm not going to say. Oh, that's definitely going to happen. No, no, no. no there's, there's, def- there's no certainties in life. Yeah. But I've just seen what I've seen is consistency, and I need to see that consistency be broken. And I think they have a shot to do it next year. Yep. Hithliday, Birmingham Blitz. Uh, both of the league's top recruiters took upset losses on the road this week, and while they're both making big pushes to hit the early recruiting period blue chips. I've been told seemingly contradictory things from those who follow recruiting more closely than I do about how late losses affect the class. Uh, The attraction of playing for a winning team seems obvious, but I've also heard that the possibility of early playing time from a team that's struggling can help as well. Personally, I tend to think there's no real effect at all on the immediate class since those decisions are the product of more than a year's worth of thought and identifying fit but I could see it playing out with the next year's class. Can you, can you boys separate the truth and myths about late losses in recruiting? Uh, anything interestingly counterintuitive? Has the early signing period changed the logic at all? I mean, I think he nailed it with the losing a game late in the season, like a month before the signing period, usually doesn't have an impact on the current signing period at all. Yeah, and I don't. I honestly don't even know if it has an effect on the next year. Um, a losing season when it was expected that it would be a good year—that's the kind of thing that actually has an effect and a lasting effect. But I don't. Oregon going nine and two right now, and potentially ten and two—that's yeah. going to be looked at as a major positive, I think, in recruiting, regardless yeah. of losing to ASU by three on the road late in the season. I mean, those things happen. Yeah, recruits are not fans, like. They might be fans of college football, but they're not die hard like you. No, Even if it, they're committed to your school, they're thinking we're gonna, I can come in and fix everything. They're, they don't really care as much about what's happening right now. If you win a championship or something, that's fine, but they're not going to be sweating losses like you as a fan would. Well, and always be, and always like when you're looking at it, and I don't know who specifically Oregon's on right now, but always look at it from the angle of okay, so what would Oregon's pitch be based off this game, or what would this team's pitch be based off this loss? That lost ASU. Well, hey, you're going to come in and you're going to be even better for us at quarterback or running back, yeah. or you're going to be even better for us at corner. Um, you know, we've got we've got a great scheme set up that's making these guys look really good. But you're that supreme talent who's going to come in here and really show them. You know, we've got undersized corners. You're going to come in, you six two monster, and you're going to immediately start as a freshman and really you know handle a guy like Brandon Ayuk. Whatever it is. So I would look at it from that angle as well. Um, but no, I don't think any individual – I think a win sometimes can do it because a win, like a really big win at the end of a season can get people hyped up, Like if, especially if there's like a locker room hype thing afterwards and people just kind of feel the emotion. But it depends on the kid. Yeah, Some kids are not going to be affected by that because, like Ryan said, they're not fans like you are. Some can get swept up in it and make a decision, but – also, I don't know how often those decisions last. Yeah, sometimes you players have done that. They've committed in the locker room after a yeah. game, and then they get home, and their parents are like, "What the hell are you doing?" You know, and yeah. Like, oh yeah, okay, I'm not committed anymore. But that happens. There's emotion. Um, you know, it, every recruit there's different things. In every school has different positives and negatives. If it's 
hey, we develop guys. We take three-star guys and turn them into this. Or we take your five-star guys and make them first-round draft picks. Or whatever it is. Like you're selling whatever the school has that's positive. And, you know, sometimes a losing season is better for certain recruits because they're like, hey, I want to come in and be able to play right away. Maybe it's a Washington that's six and five. And some of those guys that were maybe thinking about uh, not going there, they're, they're stacked. Like, oh, they're not really stacked anymore. I can come in and play. Uh, Oregon's still going to have a really great class. Um, you know, I think th- this doesn't impact for Hitlerday. It doesn't impact Oregon recruiting. I wouldn't think at all. Uh, they're still going to recruit at a high level, especially while USC's down the dumps. You, you know, the, the one of the schools that's really going to take advantage of uh, USC and to another extent, you know, UCLA not recruiting those local kids at a high level, the, the top players in California. Yep. All right. Is it me next? Yeah, Brian, I believe. Yeah, all right. This is Brian in Walnut Creek. Uh, Oregon State no longer bowling. Uh, Hey, Dave and Ryan, I wanted to ask Dave if he, always the proponent for going for it on fourth, thinks Oregon State was right to go for it on that fourth down. I gave my answer earlier. Uh, Giving Wazoo the ball with one minute left at the 45 was such a disastrous decision by Smith. On a punt there, the worst case is a touchback. Making Wazoo go 80-plus yards to win with no timeouts and one minute left was a significantly better option than going for it on a long fourth and four and throwing a back shoulder to the second-string tight end. Uh, I disagree. Um, And I know, like, it's tough, um, but uh, it's... The twenty, I know it doesn't feel like it, but like the twenty like ish yards you're getting a field position there is really not worth giving up the opportunity to just win the game right there. Um, and the fourth and four that is a fifty fifty thing, and they had a real opportunity to complete that. Like slightly better throw, I think it was. It might have been the third down before it. I can't quite remember because again I was a little bit drunk. Um, <laughs> but a slightly better ball completes that. Um, so no, I mean I just think it was. You know, it, it, the way the game broke obviously wasn't ideal, but I don't think with 20 more yards, if that drive for Washington State goes any differently, they just have to complete a few different passes on that drive instead of the ones they completed. But um, no, I think it's it was the right call. It would have won the game right there, and you don't want to give the ball back to that Washington State offense with a chance to win it with a touchdown and a full minute to go. So yeah. Um, and also, if Oregon State knew it was going on fourth, do you two think they should have been more aggressive on the first three downs instead of running three dives? If you're going to be aggressive, they should have been aggressive on more than one play. There, um, as always, love the pod. Go Beavs and Fire Helton. Um, well, you're also trying to run the clock. You're also trying to get everything. Like, I get exactly what they did there. Every bit of it. I get why they ran the ball on three successive downs, and I get why they um, threw what they did. Um, it's just, it didn't work out. If it had worked out, it would look genius. Um, and I think playing the odds, thinking about the percentage likelihoods, I think it was the right move. Yeah. Just, it's just tough. I mean, there's been some tough luck for the beeves, but you got to feel better about the direction of this program. So. Well, yeah. And I also saw Jonathan Smith doing some really conservative stuff at the beginning of last year. So seeing him break out of a shell a little bit and actually make an aggressive fourth down call, I think that's an encouraging sign for your program. Um, nice. Because he's done some really conservative stuff before this, so maybe he's breaking out of a shell a little bit. So, look, you were never gonna, you know, win a Rose Bowl or whatever this year. Going five and seven, even if that's what this ends up being, and like, look, don't don't throw out the possibility that you're gonna beat Oregon this year, I, I, this week. I don't think you will, but there's a chance. Um, but going five and seven this year, that's a major step for the program. Um, that gives you something to sell. I think a lot of people start to look at this offense as something they want to play in. Yeah. Um, and even that defensive scheme, it's not great. They're not, you know, crushing teams, but 
there's some fun stuff about it. It like, is. They're getting into the backfield a ton. So I think there's stuff to pitch um, for Oregon State. And uh, it's certainly a building block season. This one is from uh, Sco Buffs. Uh, hey, guys. Last week, there was an email regarding Mel Tucker and evaluating him as a coach for Colorado. I thought I'd give a little more context. Uh, as from a Colorado fan perspective, Mel Tucker is doing well. Uh, he has a few points here. One point is Ryan is right. The seven-game losing streak to end last season was horrible. And worse, it was clear McIntyre lost the team. And the talent on offense has been neutered by the Chenault injury and the play of Montez. Even though it's not a, a full, quote, tail of the tape, quarterback uh, ratings are an indicator. And Montez's QB rating has gotten worse every year. His redshirt freshman year was his best QB rating. And this year is his worst. Uh, the next point, David's claim that the defense has gotten worse is a bad take. I see mine. That sounds right. Mine are good. Yours are bad. I like this. Uh, <laughs> Just remember, Scobuffs, uh, Ryan was the one who picked Colorado 2 and 10. I did pick 2 and 10, but they're doing better. Uh, they have taken strides in getting better, even in spite of the slew of injuries. Two of the top three cornerbacks out for the year playing true freshmen and true freshmen that started fall camp as wide receivers. Best defensive, best defensive player out for three games, Mustafa Johnson. And the teams have been better uh, offensive teams. They held Washington State to the lowest passing output of the season uh, outside of Utah. And the position that they have continually uh, been put in with fifth-year senior quarterback has been ferocious. There you go. Uh, Tucker's staff is partially of a result of McIntyre's buyout and the budget. So we, this was a, one of the criticism was he didn't put together a great staff. Uh, that said, the coaches have kept on board. The coaches he kept on board were great decisions. Uh, there was there has been some consternation about a few hires having lack of pedigree slash resume, but that has largely largely quelled with one or two exceptions because of some seemingly solid recruiting slash coaching results. Rank 30-ish, 30th-ish in the two four seven rankings. Okay, next point. Dave's lacks la, David la, David's lackluster opinion of Jay Johnson is mildly shared, but it's chicken or egg conversation. Is Montez making all these OCs look bad? He says Lingren seems to be doing just fine without Montez, or is the uh, changing of OCs stunting his growth? I tend to think it's Montez making them look bad. And the last point is Tucker's vision of being multiple. But with focus on the lines is exactly what Colorado football should be. Colorado is more uniquely qualified for this style. Anyway, oh, God, then there's more points. One, the best recruits out of Colorado tend to be linemen on average. Two, proximity to Texas and the South make Denver slash Boulder easier to recruit to, especially with Tucker's roots. Three, Colorado has a huge alumni base in the Midwest. Uh, Illinois is one of the highest alumni bases which has a good base too. Four, UCLA and USC's recruiting base of California isn't as fertile for linemen. And while Utah has that base in Utah, they've shown Ryan is right that development is a big part of successful linemen recruiting. Whew. Full disclosure, I wrote this before the Washington game and was too chicken shit to send it before the weekend. Now, though, I can put my online told you so attitude. Mel Tucker is special. Mark our words. See you at Folsom. Hashtag buffs. Good email. Holy crap. There was a lot of points and sub points. And... I love that, though. That was great. All right. That was somebody actually telling us things that are... Uh, I actually you know... told me how you wrong you were and how yeah. right I was. So That seems right. I, seem, I like that. I don't deny that. <laughs> um, the guy who picked oh, up the win two God, games is I've right gotta, I've got to parse this text message thing. Hang on. 
You want me to, I can pull it up on the voicemail. Yeah, I'm doing that right now. Hang on. So when we get text messages through the email and they send it them in. It comes like, in garbled, so it doesn't come in in the right order to yeah. us. Um, so hang on. I've got it. All right. This is from our man uh, Choney19. All right. Uh, hey, guys. Another season almost in the books. Keep up the great work. Going to blitz you with questions. One, if there were re- if there was relegation with standings as they are now, assuming moving up would mean a move to the SEC and down to the Mountain West, how would Utah and Oregon do in the SEC and Vanderbilt and Mississippi State in the Pac-12? Huh. Um, um, Utah would be, well, if they were in the East, they'd be the number two team. Probably, yeah, uh, behind Georgia. And if they were in the West, they would be the number three team. Really think so? Between Al- behind Alabama and LSU. All right. That's fair. Um, Oregon, o- I'm not sure. Oregon would be a middling team. Uh, they'd be behind. They might even be behind Texas A&M if you're going by the SP Plus right now. So here's the te- here are the SEC teams that would be ahead of Oregon if you just go by the S&P Plus. Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Texas A&M. So it would be a middling team. Middling yeah. team. But Utah is ranked ahead of those guys. Yeah, Utah is eighth. So they're ahead of everyone but Georgia, LSU, and Alabama. And was it Vanderbilt and who would be in the other one? Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. So they would be... Let me see where Vandy is. Hang on. We'll just go by this. Uh, Vanderbilt would be the worst team in the Pac-12. Wow. Um, And Mississippi State... Wait, why is this not pulling up? Okay. Uh, Mississippi State would be better than Oregon State, Colorado, UCLA, Arizona, probably uh, Stanford, Arizona, Cal. Wow! So they'd be middling. They'd be middling. Yeah. Okay, that seems right. Nice. Okay. All right, and then we've got um, and how would Hawaii and Boise State do in the Pac-12, and Stanford and Arizona do in the Mountain West this season? Hawaii and Boise State. Uh, Hawaii already beat a couple Pac-12 teams, right? Or yeah, Hawaii would be—they'd be at the bottom, but like they'd be a little bit better than Cal and Arizona, according to this. Okay. Um, Boise would be worse than Washington State, USC, Oregon, Washington, and Utah. Utah, but middling. Okay. Um, and Upper then, middling, but yeah. And then where would I don't know where Stanford would be in the Mountain West, and I don't care. Yeah. They'd be bad. <laughs> They're bad in the Pac-12. They'd be bad. They'd be like mind. middling in the Mountain West. And um, yeah, Arizona would be roughly the same. All right. All right. And then uh, what are the qualities that you doing this podcast? What are the qualities that you doing this podcast for another conference? Like what? <laughs> oh, it's even garbled in here. Uh, what are the qualities that you think are important in an AD search? What can UCLA learn from the USC AD search? Um. I don't know if you learn anything from it. Um, not a lot got out. There were, were there were rumors of people that were apparently close to signing and that didn't happen. Uh, I think every school you have to find someone that's good, you know, that fits what you're doing, and that you know, there's a culture and a personality with all these programs. And it, I don't think what's good for USC would necessarily be good for UCLA or Oregon or Washington or whatever. It's just I think you got to find those right fits and interview people. I mean. I don't get search firms like your job is to hire these people like 
you should know who's good in the industry that you're looking into and, and go out and, and interview those people and, and talk to them and see if they want to come and see if it'll work. You know, I, I hate when people like try to put it behind something else and give a search firm a, the, the power. Um, definitely experience having hired a football coach before. Yes. That would be a big one for me. Um, so yeah, that's one of my Football's major ones. Very important. So. Yeah. So having hired and managed a football program and not D2, like a division one football program, it can be, I'd even accept like FCS actually, oh. but it just can't be you've you've only managed like a d3 program like you need to have hired a coach who you actually had to pay some money to and you like oversaw a program that hands out scholarships and i think when you're talking like ucla and usc are similar boats like stanford like when you've won a you know over 100 championships like most of those aren't in football it's like all these other sports football is the most important so you need to make yeah. sure you get that right. But if you have someone that was only focused on football and like neglected the other sports, I don't think that would work at a UCLA because those sports are so important as well. You know, where there, yeah. you could be some team in the South or something where no one cares about anything else. It's just football, football, football. I don't think you, you, you need someone that's football focused, but also can support all those programs because those, you know, they might not make money, but they're a big part of the university winning those championships every year. Yeah. All right, and then I get it's during the season, but where has the vitriol towards Larry Scott gone? Is he doing a better job this year, or is he still on the hot seat? I wouldn't want the Pac-12 to forget he sucks. I mean, we, I mean, we kind of hammer him pretty regularly. It's not. Um, I mean, the we, opening of the show is we're in more homes in the Pac-12 network. That's true. Um, we didn't. Uh, I think he's attempted to make some amends, and so you've got. I, I think Wilner has backed off of him a little bit, and so we're not. You know, we have two main sources on this podcast, uh, John Canzano and John Wilner. And Canzano's still beating the drum pretty yes. heavily, but one of our main sources is, you know, I think moderated a little bit. Um, so, yeah. he's. I mean, he's done, said some better things, at least, like, yeah, hey, he's, uh, football's uh, important. You know? No, our man <laughs> Wilner has moderated with reason because, I mean, I think Scott's been, you know, at least a little bit more humble about some stuff. Yeah, I think he's trying a little more but yeah he's still you still need to go like five million bucks a year for that guy like no way but and then uh what would be your thoughts running or doing this podcast for another conference like the sec big 10 or big 12 i would i don't know the first thing about any of those yeah i, I, I know the first thing about the pac-12 not the second third or fourth <laughs> but i know the first thing i don't know the first thing about any of those yeah, leagues. I, and i don't watch any of them like i watch very little um SEC, Big Ten, or Big 12 football. Like, if they're not playing a Pac-12 team, I rarely watch them. I think, like, in the like, yeah, same thing. I don't know enough about those conferences. Uh, but, like, in the SEC, there would be a ton of competition. Like, when we started this, there was basically just us. And now there's some other ones that have popped up. I don't know how many consistent ones where you're doing show as often as we do. Um, because it's just, you know, there's it's, like, different. In the SEC, there's probably, like, 50 podcasts like ours, you know. Uh, I would assume. I mean, there's maybe the, a million. It could be a million. Um, I mean, like the Paul Feinbaum thing. Like, we don't have anything like that in the Pac-12. We are that. We yeah, we kind of are that. We are Paul Feinbaum. Which, yeah. Uh, well, thing. you know, to to their credit, like they're having more podcasts, like Yogi Roth and uh, some of those guys are doing more Pac-12 podcasts. Some of it is just like audio from their TV show that goes on. But they do like a a thirty minute podcast, you know, afterwards with one of the crews, like Yogi's crew, doing things. And they're, you know, 
those are torchbearers for the conference all the way. That's why Tyler Huntley should go to New York and win the Heisman. This is why Oregon should have definitely been a playoff team no matter what. Um, you know, so you're getting that kind of more, they're very positive on the conference. Not that we, you know, we love the conference, but we're more realistic probably. I you guess. know what I love about Yogi though? What? All those criticisms about like people being disingenuous and not saying the things they mean. I believe that he means all No, that. I think you're right. Yeah. I think he 100% thinks Tyler Huntley is like a legit Heisman contender and should be in New York. And he thinks Justin Herbert is as well. Yeah. Like he thinks both of them should be in New York at the Heisman ceremony. He's hundred percent. He thinks Utah should be in the playoff. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, he might not be wrong. But he there's... thinks Chip Kelly has it rolling at UCLA now. Like he thinks these things, and I respect the hell out of that. No, he, he. I think he believes all that. He's just a very, he's a very positive person. He's a you know half glass half full all the time. So whatever you know, it's incredible. Yeah, but yeah, he's a good dude. Uh, all right, we have one last one. Oh, this is just this is from Alfred. I need my podcast of champion fix. Where are you at this week? Hope all is well. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Um, so he sent that like right before we recorded. Seven hours ago. Oh, nice. When we recorded. When yeah, we this began was... recording. Seven hours Because my thing says five hours ago, but I guess, you know, seven hours. Ooh, this is a 224 right now. <sighs> it's late. <sighs> it's actually after midnight where you're from. Yeah. So when I flew in last Friday, um, it was a 6.15 a.m. flight out of Atlanta, which means I got up at midnight Pacific time. (sighs) No bueno. No, no bueno. Um, All right. Well, I guess we should wrap this up. Uh, Yeah, I was like, I told Dave at the beginning, like, maybe we shouldn't answer all the questions because they were like in the 20s. But I, I felt committed to you, the listener, to really get into it. Go deep. I, I think someone's watching his kids, so he's like he knows he can just be away from that's them for a while. exactly correct. <laughs> Ryan knows. All right. Well, that's gonna wrap it up. Uh great to have you in studio, Dave. It Thanks. was great to be here. Yeah. Staring at this wonderful helmet you have here. He's got the USC helmet around him and all kinds of fun USC props that we have for our other shows. And it's stuff. really wonderful. <laughs> Get to stare at the beautiful Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Hey, UCLA used to play there too. So it's a hideous building. So is the Rose Bowl. Like I, I'd be fine if nobody ever played a football game in either one of those stadiums ever again. I like the. I mean, I like both renovations that the stadiums made, but it's a big dumb bowl. Like it's just whatever, and it's a horrible experience watching a game there. It's the, yeah. They this has been it. David Woods hot takes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. I guess that'll wrap it up. Dave's hating on the most iconic stadiums, and it's a nice, like it's a nice place. Like it's nice to be in the mountains at the Rose Bowl and like checking that out, or being like within vicinity of downtown LA. I get that, but the stadium itself is an awful experience. Yeah, I did. Um, the Coliseum has like the 1923 club because that's when it opened up the very t- so the top of the tower. Uh-huh. It's pretty swank up there. Like it's pretty nice. Like, that's great. Pe- people are up there having drinks and doing all kinds of stuff. So not mixing with the riffraff, the hoi polloi. There's no riffraff up there. Maybe. Yeah, I got like I was just trying to go up there. You can't go up there as a media member, but like one of the ads got me like a temporary pass or something. But the security people were like, "Hey, what? You can't be here and stuff." Like it was like a club. It was like a club. It was pretty. That's wonderful. I was like, but I was like, but you have an awesome view and you got like down, you can see downtown, the Hollywood sign, all that stuff. So, yep. 
All right, that is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. Two and a half hours of the best Pac-12 podcast you will ever listen to. Hope you guys enjoy the last weekend of the regular season, and we will talk to you next time.